Paratopia, we're back again, and this one is, um, well, it's a little bit different. I think we've only ever done something slightly like this once with the Emma Woods, David Jacobs audio, but this isn't even exactly that. Uh, what we're going to be doing is going through an episode of the Joiner Report, uh, that is Angela Joyner's show, and I guess... We're going to be listening, and we're going to be stopping and, and, and commenting on it. And essentially, it's an interview with Jim Penniston um, of the Bentwaters case. And in case anyone doesn't know what the Bentwaters case is, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But basically, this is a case that, um, that Jeff, you would say what? you um, Do you still think it's a good case? You, you For most of your life in this, you've thought that this was a pretty solid uh, UFO case. Good uh, evening, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, do we need to start that over? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I, you know, I've, I've held Bentwaters Woodbridge um, in, in uh, pretty, pretty high regard for being a, a really solid case. And, and certainly, I think over the years, its its story has not wavered too awful much, uh, depending on who you talk to. But I think uh, Colonel Halt, um, Jim Penniston, those two guys are the ones that I see most often associated, at least in media, for me with this case. And uh, and and both have stayed pretty consistent over the years. And. I always thought it was a very good case. I mean, when it first came on to Unsolved Mysteries, although there's many years ago, um, I think that was really the tipping point for that case when a lot of people became aware of it. And uh, and a lot of people started digging for more and uh, uncovering documents. And, of course, since all that came out, the, the Halt memo has surfaced. And Colonel Halt's audio recordings from that night with his little handheld recorder have come out. So um, we've got a, a little bit more than what we did at the onset. And I always thought it was a very good case. Yeah, Jeff Ritzman, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Ritzman. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me, Jer. Thanks for coming on. Um, so now, coincidentally, we'll put that in quotes because we don't really know. <laughs> um, uh, Jim Penniston, um, at the 30th anniversary of the Bentwaters crash or whatever it is, Bentwaters what landing? I don't know what to call it. Case comes out with some new evidence. But before we get to that, just in case there are some new people listening, briefly tell people what happened during those three days. Briefly? Wow. <laughs> briefly is not easy. I mean, I would encourage anybody to, to I mean, this is going to be ever so brief, uh, definitely to go on to, uh, well, anywhere on that their internet and look up the Rendlesham UFO case and read the whole story. Short of it is, you know, you've got a, a joint military base uh, over in Great Britain. Uh, pretty unique situation for the base itself. 
and you 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 can read more about all the logistics of the base and why it was there and uh and the the connections to RAF and all of that but um you know essentially they guys at a guardhouse uh, see lights in the woods it they said it looked like a light show going on out there and some men went out to uh investigate what it was uh, they had to ask permission to go off the base because off the base you're in UK territory and no longer under the United States off the base. So uh, weapons were left behind, um, or so I've read. And um, and they went to investigate. One of those men being uh, Jim Penniston and the other being um, Mr. Burroughs. Uh, that's two of the three, I believe, if it was three. But um, they came upon a craft. Uh, in particular, uh, Penniston has told this story a lot, that he came upon a craft that was actually – Fairly small as UFOs go, nine foot, eight foot in length, somewhere in there, triangular or diamond shaped, uh, with an appendage on the top and some. Uh, uh, I don't know. I guess you guess you call them hieroglyphic, but they're kind of more like just. Uh, I, I I don't know. I you can't really describe them as hieroglyphic because they're not like that. They're they're vectorized shapes that were glowing on the hull of this thing. And the man got close enough to touch it and to photograph it. And um, and after he touched it, he wrote down his observations. He literally took notes on the scene of the markings on the craft. He said he expected to see U- USAF on it somehow or s- n- none of that being present. Um, uh, he touched it. It was warm. Uh, after he touched it, there was uh, a flash of light. I just watched an interview with him today. And this thing went up into the trees and took off at a high rate of speed of which the likes they'd never seen before. And, of course, the joke for us is that any time a skeptic or skeptibunker would be on uh, like Larry King or something, they'd say, well, you saw a lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, you can't touch a lighthouse. Uh, yeah. Or you can, I suppose, but but you would know it. Not not from that kind of distance. I don't think uh, Mr. Penison's hands are quite that long. But, so... So that's basically it. And this was over a, a span of, what, three days? Yeah, there were three different nights where phenomena was observed. The landed thing was first, and then there were other things that came after that. There were sightings of um, smaller lights that were throwing down pen, you know, pencil beams of light that I guess these days we call a laser, but I'm not sure that's what they were, considering the last interview I heard with Colonel Halt, he said that these things were a matter of inches across when they hit the ground. So... Um, nonetheless, I mean, he said it looked like they were searching for something, like they were spread out in a grid pattern, and uh, they're throwing beams down all over the base, uh, all over the woods, surrounding areas. They saw um, you know, a red light that seemed to look like an eye that was weaving in between the trees. You know, this is down on their level. This is not up in the sky. Um, you know, this thing went over to near, you know, a farmhouse and, and exploded into lots of little white lights. I mean, this is some really bizarre stuff. It, it definitely, to me, has always had the earmarks of being a little more than a UFO thing. Like, this speaks to the real high weird stuff to me, um, which is one of the reasons I thought this is interesting. And these guys are obviously willing to go out and give you the whole story, no matter how bizarre it might sound. And... um and so, yeah, it was it was a lot of weirdness, and this was, um, I don't know, fairly well documented at the time. I would say, at least to me, 
audio recordings and all of that. So now cut to the 30th anniversary of this thing, Mm -hmm. and suddenly, mysteriously, there's more. Yeah. Yeah. And it is what? Well, it is binary codes. It is, uh, uh, you know, allegedly from Jim Penniston, when he touched the craft, he... Doesn't I guess he's you know from what I've heard and what I've read that he's written he doesn't prefer the term telepathic there was nothing telepathic about it. it was more when he touched it there was a technology essentially that communicated or implanted these binary codes in his mind and um, and and again allegedly he wrote these codes down uh, after the sighting uh, because he could picture them perfectly in his mind. He could literally copy them down, and so he did. And so these binary codes were um, decoded, six pages. And allegedly there's more. But what they got um, out of these binary codes were words. And those words said, Exploration of Humanity, 5209-42.532 North, 1312.69 West continuous for planetary advance. And those coordinate numbers are uh, latitude and longitude. And those latitude and longitudes come up um, you know, off the coast of Great Britain in a musical island called High Brazil. H-Y-B-R-A-S-I-L. And um, uh, you know, interestingly enough, go over to Wikipedia, look up that high Brazil, and you find out that this is a, I don't know, kind of a, a mythical island that the um, featured in, in a lot of Irish myths. It was said to be cloaked in mist, uh, except for one day each seven years when it became visible, but it still couldn't be reached. Kind of similar to St. Brennan's Island, uh, the names Brazil and high Brazil are thought to come from the Irish uh, Ubrizal. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. This is all very uh, steeped in mythology. I mean, these people that lived on this place were, you know, on this island were said to be greatly advanced from everybody else on the mainland, more or less kept to themselves, did not travel inland that I'm aware of uh, from what I've read today. But um, it's a mythical island. And, um, and so <laughs> what do you make of that? Um, and my thing was, well, you know, we're just getting this now at the 30th anniversary. Why why didn't we get this back then? If everything else was on the table, why not this? And so I guess that leads us into, uh, into Angela's uh, interview. And we tried to get uh, Angela on, but she has actually left ufology um, and left her show. Right. She may be back. She may not. She hasn't decided, but she definitely said she wants this time off, but of course she gave us permission to use her episode. And um, we, I guess we'd wanted to interview Penniston, of course. Um, and at first he was sort of dabbling with the idea, right? In, in emails with you, is this correct? Yeah. Then? Yeah. I contacted him on Facebook and um, this was right before they were going over to the UK to do their talks. And um, he said, it's getting kind of crazy, but uh, you know, when all that's over, uh, send me another email in a couple of weeks. And so I did. And since that point, uh, which has been over a period of, a, I guess, a month or somewhere around there, um, he has not replied at all. Um, today on Facebook, I saw where he was active and posting. And I posted in the thread and I said, uh, Jim, just by the way, you know, 
talked to you about the show before. Um, would like to get you on soon. And I figured, if nothing else, he'll he'll see that, and then maybe he'd check his messages on Facebook. And he posted after that, and um, uh, to my knowledge, at this point in time, has not has not replied to me. So there so you I don't go. Know. Well, I don't know but what's interesting not. is, so we wanted to have him on to talk about all this, but you, uh, wanting more information about all this, of course, started listening to interviews with him, and you came upon the Joiner Report. Right. And I haven't heard this yet. I'm going to listen to it for the first time as we go along here. Um, but you had indicated to me that you thought that this was a really important one and um, probably slipped under most people's radars. And so it would um, behoove us to bring it to people's attention. Mm-hmm. So kudos to Angela Joyner. Yes, <laughs> thanks. Thanks to her. Jump bunch of reporting or investigative journalism that that um, that it impressed you enough to want to do this show and thank her for letting us use the material to do it. And I guess we'll find out why as we go. So without further ado, let's get into the Joyner report with Jim Penniston. After thirty years, a Rendlesham reunion was held the end of December last year. And that wasn't that long ago. And these men and others spoke to a crowd of about 400 people. All of the proceeds benefited a children's organization, which I thought was just great. Participants returned to the site where they saw an unexplained craft on the ground in the shape of a triangle with a surface comparable to black onyx. Linda Howe accompanied them, and detailed reports can be found on her site, earthfiles.com. Many consider this incident the most well-documented UFO sighting in history, at least in the top three. Jim released some new information regarding the incident at the reunion. He had touched the symbols on the craft 30 years before, and this is well known. What was not known is that when he did so, he received a sort of telepathic download in his mind. Images of ones and zeros, pictures in his mind that didn't go away until he wrote them down later at his home in the now infamous notebook he carried at the time. I believe he said he didn't get relief from that mental picture in his mind until he did write them down and then it went away. Linda had the binary code deciphered by Dr. Horace R. Drew and Dr. Mike Reed on November the 11th, 2010. These were scientists that she had worked with before. They determined the translation as follows. Exploration of humanity, break, something's unclear, then 8100, break, then longitude and latitude coordinates, another break, for planetary advance, and it looks like they added the E in advance. It looks like it didn't come through exactly right. And then more of the supposed message is not clear. Jim, up until today, I suppose, released only a portion of the binary code for evaluation. The information was recently aired on the last episode of the History Channel's Ancient Aliens. So there's been some controversy over where the the locations are. And uh, for now, I would like to welcome Jim as my guest. He's been through a lot of personal, personal turmoil over the years, which I'm sure that uh, John and some of the other witnesses have also. But Jim, I respect your courage, and I'm both humbled and grateful 
that you chose to come on the Joiner Report tonight for your first interview since releasing the information last December. I appreciate you so much. Well, thank you very much, Angela. I'm, I'm really looking forward to tonight. It is the first uh, uh, radio show that we've done uh, uh, since uh, the uh, reunion. And uh, it's unfortunate John can't be on. He has bronchitis. I mean, he said he'd be coughing too much to, to try to talk. So, uh, Well, I understand several, several of you came back sick from the U.K., right? Well, Linda, uh, she was sick. I, I was. Uh, <laughs> a couple <laughs> other people. Yeah, it was bad. We all, we're not sure if we had uh, uh, some kind of flu or what. It, it was horrible. <laughs> well, I think uh, the... The first thing we need to uh, clarify here, Jim, is people have been asking about the timeline. They're not sure when, uh, after you received the code on the 26th, did you write it down in your notebook at home? Do you have any idea? Yeah, I wrote, I wrote it down on the 27th the following day. All right. And was that before... Your superiors gave you the sodium pentothal to to interview you. No, the uh, sodium pentothal. <clears throat> okay, here's the timeline. After uh, the 26th, um, we were um, the, the morning of 26th. That's when we went and uh, I've obtained the uh, plaster Paris impressions. Okay, the the plaster Paris impressions that he's speaking of here are from the landed craft uh, the night before and. Uh, this was said to be on a three-legged tripod sort of apparatus. So just so everybody's aware, there were uh, impressions taken of those landing spots. And those landing spots were actually measured out, the whole bit documented. So again, we're solid so far. Then I went home. The following day, I did uh, write these down for more of a relief than anything else, the codes. And then on the 28th, which was a Monday, uh, I was told to report to... Uh, the AFOSI building, which I did do. And uh, there I did, just wrote a formal statement. I wrote uh, a four-page statement saying exactly what happened out there. Uh, and they said that the whole incident would go away that morning if I told them everything, which I did. And um, then after that, John and I uh, were also instructed to go up to Colonel Halt's office at the base commander's office. We met Colonel Halt up there. And uh, then, uh, you know, we got debriefed. We uh, wrote some statements up there, met with the wing commander, base commander. Uh, then let me just jump ahead to answer the question. A month later, around November, uh, February 5th, 6th, 7th, something like that, that was the other visit to uh, the OSI building where sodium pentothal was actually given to me. Okay, so it was a month later where you did the interview under the influence of sodium pentothal. But still, if you uh, if you uh, wrote this down, your binary code, you wrote it down on the 27th at home, that was before your first interview at the AFOSI building? That's correct. And before right. I was interviewed by the base commander or Colonel Hall or... Yeah. And you have described it as a mental picture in your mind. Isn't that right? That's correct. 
and it was something that was constantly coming back to you and, and kind of just like you couldn't get rid of it, and, and so you decided to write it down? Yeah, it's uh, it's really a very weird situation. Matter of fact, I was actually concerned about myself. Uh, like the on the morning of twenty six, I had done that stuff out there with the plaster Paris. I come back, I slept maybe for four or five hours, got back up, I got these symbols running around my head. I mean, it just seems insane, uh, especially after the experience that we had the night before. Uh, I, I I couldn't even. Uh, uh, get them out of my mind. It was terrible. And so uh, uh, I felt driven. I says, I felt driven to write them down. And, and I thought for some reason it might help. And actually, um, uh, I wasn't sure about my stability at the time either. And uh, so I did start writing them down. I, I grabbed the uh, my notebook because uh, um, I had was previously looking at the actual glyphs and stuff. And that's when I decided to go ahead and write them down. So I just used a notebook. And uh, I just started uh, recording them and uh, continued to do that. And I don't know, I can't remember how many pages. Are you still there? Hmm. I don't know if you guys can hear him. I can't hear him. Shows he's still on with us. You can hear him? No. We lost him somehow. Let's see if we can get him back. Might be a Skype issue. Where are you, Jim? Okay, folks, we have a little technical difficulty here. Looks like uh, Skype has dropped Jim out of our link here. I'm looking in the chat room. If you are not familiar with the chat room, come on over to InceptionRadioNetwork.com. And uh, join us. Uh, we have a great time in the chat room. And Jim no guests. Good save, Ed. All right. All right. Sorry about that, Jim. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, you never know what's going to go ahead and chop the lineup, huh? Isn't that right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, you want to continue with your thought there or? Well, I was just chatting away, Angela. I think uh, I left off at uh, uh, the part about once I had the codes written down, then uh, then I just felt relieved uh, that it went away. But then you have to look at my state of mind at the time. I, I was thinking, my God, what is wrong with me? Why would I have to write something like that down? And then I was wondering, oh, you know what? I don't know if it's just gibberish. I don't know if it was just uh, something from the aftershock of what had happened the day, you know, the night before. Uh, right. Was I having some kind of post-traumatic stress from it? Uh, you know, I was pretty concerned about that, uh, but it seemed to help. So I, it, once they were written down, uh, the the visual went away. Uh, so uh, it seemed okay. Did the did the AFOSI have access to your notebook at any time? No. Uh, matter of fact, they never even asked for it. They didn't know I had one, uh, but it's pretty standard. Uh, Security procedures for the security force uh, uh, supervisors uh, carry uh, uh, notebooks for our recording our shift activities. Uh, if we have a situation that happens, uh, aircraft crash, something like that, uh, in-flight mer- emergencies, whatever it may be, we record you know those particular times down when stuff happened and that. So when we go to do further reports, 
uh, we can do accurate uh, 1569s, which is the Air Force uh, uh, incident report. You know, we can write them out in more detail. I mean, it's just normal procedures that we just did that. I carried my notebook everywhere. But right. when I was at OSI, I, there's no need to uh, pull my notebook out. It just happened uh, a couple of days before. Okay. I mean, it was very fresh. I mean. Right. I understand that. So, Jerry, let me ask you something. Like, at that point, doesn't that seem a little weird to you? That o- you know, OSI would not ask him for any materials he may have written down? when it's standard procedure for these guys to carry around a notebook and for the simple fact that he mentions an aircraft fire or an aircraft crash rather. And, um, and this is to write down details of an event of some sort like that. And that is exactly what they thought that it was that night in the woods that probably an airplane had crashed. You don't think OSI is going to go Peniston. You got anything written down anywhere? You got, uh, what do you got? Uh, I mean, doesn't that strike you as a little weird? It's a little weird. I guess it strikes me a little weird that he hasn't thought it was weird, and no one else involved in this case has said anything about that being weird. I mean, that just seems – something seems not right about that to me. Like, I would think if they thought something happened of some extreme significance that ought to be hushed up and kept quiet, guess what? They're going to go through his house or his room or whatever. And they're going to look for whatever may be there. I mean, they don't have any idea what he may have uh, written down, sketched, drawn, whatever. I I don't know. I When I first heard that, I thought that was a little strange. Well, they get them to spill what they know using sodium pentothal, right? Yeah. So you would think that anyone going to those lengths would indeed ask what they jotted down in their notebooks that night. Yeah. I think that's that's a safe bet. That, yeah, in which case they would want those notebooks. <laughs> you know, We're not letting you leave here without those notebooks. I mean, that would kind of be – I don't know. To me, that just seems like that would be a standard thing to do, to, to you know, confiscate all of that. Confiscate the photographs, confiscate anything you've written down, recordings, whatever. But we don't get that here. So I thought that was a little strange. Carrying on. You kept this information about the telepathic download of the binary code to yourself uh, until October 2010 when Linda was interviewing you for the History Channel episode. Is that right? No, that's, no, that's not true. Um, okay. The, the whole code system uh, came out in uh, a September 1994 uh, okay. hypnosis. Yeah. So that was described there. Uh, but it wasn't made public? No. No, never made public. I mean, I talked about uh, uh, receiving codes in that before, but no one's ever asked about it. Um, how would anyone have asked about it if it wasn't public knowledge? Right. <laughs> but I would think that if he had said publicly, uh, yeah, I received some codes, that yes. people then would ask about it. Somebody would, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Okay. Um, is he really saying that he said everything under 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 the influence of sodium pentothal? Right. Mm-hmm. He he was interviewed and asked about everything. Right. And he was able to not mention this binary code way back then. Even under the influence of sodium pentothal, he was able to keep this information secret. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's it. Right. 
I mean, he's not saying he kept it secret from the public. He's saying he kept it secret, period. Yeah, nobody knew about it, apparently. All right, and that was... Yeah, the the first time we were out filming for the Ancient Alien series in uh, October. And uh, when, you know, of course, they wanted to see the notebook and see the glyphs and stuff in it. And I was showing the uh, film crew and stuff that. And what's all this other stuff? That's all those are the, the binary code that was given to me. And then it seemed to stop the whole shoot. Uh, they're going, you're kidding me. Went, no. I says, well, how long you had that? I said, well, from the time of the incident. They well, said, well, I can, I can understand um, in a way uh, why you, I understand why for sure, not in a way, why you would wait until after your retirement in 1993 to do the hypnosis. I mean, you had a job to do and uh, family and all of that. But... Uh, I'm surprised that Linda, in 1994, you said nobody ever asked you about the binary code, that she wouldn't have jumped all over that. You wanted to say something? Hypnosis. Moving on. Hypnosis. (laughs) Linda and I did a project, let's see, uh, I believe it was 1996. And that project, she did a, it was a glimpses of alternate realities. It was another book that she did. In there is actually the transcript of my hypnosis, that portion describing tra- time travel and uh, the, also the binary codes that were, were received. So they've been on record in a book form since 96. And Linda never approached anybody since 1994 to have it uh, decoded until this interview in October with Four Ancient Aliens, right? That's correct. Uh, That really surprises me. Well, I don't know. I don't know what's in her mind. Uh, What she told uh, what what happened at the shoot is that they said, well, we should get those, uh, the film people were saying, we should get those uh, uh, decoded in that Prometheus. And I said, that's the film company. I says, yeah, I said, we could. I said, but it's probably just gibberish, you know. And I said, well, let's find out. And so I ran it to, uh, with the uh, film company, and then I gave a second one for uh, independent review with Linda. That was my suggestion. Um, and she ran it to those two other uh, doctors. And, um, of course, there's some discrepancy besides Linda's site and, my, and uh, what the uh, Prometheus did. But uh, it's minor, and uh, and uh, so yeah, I don't know. Have no idea why she didn't pursue it earlier. She knew about it. She knew about it for fifteen, sixteen years beforehand. All right. Now, did you ever tell John about it, or he, did he just recently learn about it? John knew about it uh, 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 somewhat. I mean, he never seen the actual coding of it. No, at the time. So let me stop it here because I'm already confused about this binary code. There's 12 pages of binary code, correct? Okay. Uh, right? There's 12 pages of this binary code. Yeah. Some yeah, of it's been decoded. Some of it hasn't. Right. Um, is he saying he's known about this 12 pages of binary code since the beginning? Or is he saying that, that he only recovered it under hypnosis in 1994? I mean, no, he, he must have known something, it, obviously, to have gone under hypnosis in the first place. In <laughs> no, he wrote him down the day after. Because they were aggravating him. The, the the message was like, you know, a song stuck in his head kind of thing, I, I'm guessing. It's the way he describes it there. That the next day he wrote him down, 
you know, to get them to stop, to get it, the, you know, the, the mental image, I suppose, or the, the replay of these numbers out of his head. The only way to stop it was to write them down. So that was the day after he says he wrote them down. So what was the hypnosis about? Why, why was that mentioned? I don't know. Okay, so that's frustration number one. Frustration number two is the binary code. Now, this is the same thing. If I recall, there was that crop circle, right, with the with the meticulous gray alien holding a disc. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the and the the sort of dots and dashes on the disc. That was binary code, right? I believe so. And somebody had decoded it, and blah blah blah. Well, that was done. That was when when was that made in comparison to this? I mean, because clearly. Someone like Linda Moulton Howe, at least, would have known what binary code was, right? In 94 right. or 96? Yeah, the uh, the alien face formation, which is the one that you're talking about where it's a disc. It's, it, it actually looks like a, a photograph. It's, it's, that, it's that clear um, of an image in the fields, and there's a disc that kind of breaks the border of what you would consider the – the the, the the three-dimensional picture of the alien, and in that disc is a binary code. That's, a, that's 2002. And uh, Colin's uh, friend, uh, Paul Vigay, is the one who uh, essentially wrote a preliminary look at the 2002 alien face formation. And in there is all sorts of, all sorts of information about you know, the disc, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the photographic depiction of this alien and um, how it kind of resembled a, a somatic uh, diagram of some well, sort. When, when did binary code? Well, then okay, so I'm wrong in that. But then, at what point does binary code become well known enough to where someone, Penniston, Linda Moulton Howe, somebody looks at that because he already had looked at it and thought it was a code, right? Well, so at what some point sort. Did you look yeah. at it and go, okay, it's binary code. <laughs> I mean, when did the digital age, I mean, I remember talking about this stuff, ones and zeros, right? That's what the binary code is, right? Ones and zeros. Correct, yes. I mean, I remember talking about that when CDs first came out. Uh-huh. And that was... Well, you want a little history on binary code? That was long I'll before 96. Well, I, well, here's the thing. Binary numbers were first described or written by a guy named Pingala uh, in 100 B.C., <laughs> yeah, but they didn't they didn't become common knowledge until like 87. Binary code was first introduced by the German mathematician uh, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz in the 17th century. And he was trying to find a system that can convert logic's verbal statements into pure mathematical one. And um and after that idea was ignored, he came across the Chinese text called the I Ching, uh which used a type of binary system code. So at what point does it enter into uh, computing? I don't know. Um, I mean, there's there's been forms of binary code. Uh, I mean, Braille is a form of binary code, or a type, rather. But he said he knew it was a code, right? He's sort yeah. of known it was a code all along. Yes. He just didn't know what it meant and didn't bother with it. Well, Thought if it you know that you've got a code from a seemingly other intelligence, you don't <laughs> bring that to anyone's attention? Yeah, see, this is where... You know, including under sodium pentothal. You, you didn't right. think maybe that was an important thing to note. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when we had um, Dr. David Clark on, this is one of the things I mentioned to him that I found to be really disappointing. This is the beginning of my sideways glance at, at Rendlesham. And I you know, 
pre- you know, previously thought this was a really, really good case and a lot of solid information from what seemed like really stand-up guys. And then all of a sudden we get this binary code that is all of a sudden surfacing and this just wasn't something that didn't come up. I mean, this didn't come up before. It conveniently comes out in the mass, you know, sense at the 30th anniversary thing. Like that seems a little too convenient to me. Like, I, I don't know how I feel about that at that point. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how anybody can't look at that and go, that's binary code. And if I got that from touching this, then I should be talking about this. This is part of the story. Um, I don't know. At least telling your military officials, right? Well, yeah. I mean, there's got to be some sense of duty involved with yeah. with a, a message from the great other. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think one of the things, just I want everybody to keep this in the back of your head for now, but what he just mentioned was about John Burroughs uh, was aware of the binary code. Just keep that in the back of your head for me, and we'll move on. Well, what is when, what did he say that... That John Burroughs was that aware John Burroughs was aware of the binary code. Not the whole time. Not the whole time, but it doesn't sound to me, by the way he said it, it doesn't sound to me like he just found out about this recently. Right, right. Here's an odd thing with John and I. Uh, uh, John and I, since 1980, out uh, with the exception of the last eight months, uh, never met, talked, or anything about the incident. Um, we were uh, pur- purposely uh, kept apart um, by uh, over the years. Uh, I was told by uh, he actually Colonel Halt uh, that John was unable to get a hold of him. Uh, he had dropped off the face of the planet, and uh, there was just no way to find John for any of the film work we were going to do or anything like that. We did uh, end up uh, doing a project in 1996 um, together, I think it was, uh, over in England. And John was there, but we were kept apart. Uh, I was with Colonel Hall all the time. I didn't get to spend any time with John. Uh, and um, so that was the last time I seen him until I got a phone call approximately about 12 months ago, and it was John. Uh, he found me, and he says, uh, Jim, he says, John, he says, I said, oh, how you been? I, you know, I've been trying to get a hold of you. And uh, and John says, you know what we need to do? And I says, yeah, go back to Rendlesham. He goes, you're right. So that's how it started uh, 10 months ago, 12 months ago. Now, you said you two were purposely kept apart Correct. by Colonel Halt? Hey, he's part of it, yes. It was Who, else? Of Who else? Who uh, else is part well, of it? Well, during the hypnosis session, um, one of the things that is um, uh, with the false memories that were impression were given. Uh, one of the things that they told us, they told me during hypnosis, and what came out during the hypnosis is that uh, whatever happens, John and I can't get back together again because we'll figure it out. They that that came out in the hypnosis for the '94 session, so. Believing that, I, I think that's exactly what happened because we had to return to Rundlesham. Guess what we did? We figured it out. So, uh, <laughs> what did what you figure did. out? We figured out uh, uh, the exact landing site, for example. 
which okay. was distorted before. I mean, 30 years of people running around to the wrong areas and the forestry department putting up signs to places that they thought was where it was at. And so we found the exact landing location. I had total recall there. Uh, John and I had uh, uh, some other experiences together that we are keeping private. And um, uh, also... Uh, um, it answered many questions, and it uh, gave us more direction what we had to do. And it also told us that Rendlesham, the return was a beginning. And um, there's much more that's got to happen. Uh, from you learned the, uh, that Rendlesham was the beginning. Did I understand you correctly? That's correct. The beginning of what? Beginning of what John and I need to do over the course of history here. We are, we're not done with this. We have other codes. We have other uh, things that we have to get deciphered. We're sure we have more information. We're a little hesitant right now about the full release because the way stuff was handled with the six pages that we just uh, arbitrarily grabbed. I grabbed six pages out. That's what we uh, used. Yeah, I was wondering, why didn't you give them all of it at one time? Why would you just pick six pages? And are those six pages the first six pages? Are they in sequence? Yeah, in sequence, the first six pages. Let's, uh, and I just grabbed them because, uh, first of all, I just thought they were gibberish. I didn't think they were going to say anything. I mean, how, who in the world can write down uh, uh, ones and zeros and zeros and ones and do uh, 14 pages of it and they mean anything? I mean, that's impossible. So I was pretty sure there was all gibberish. Jeff, I believe you wanted to say something. 14 pages and you give up six. If you've got something, I mean, this is where I have the problem with all of this stuff. I mean, this routinely happens in ufology is that somebody's got data and uh, what they say is truthful data, honestly recalled from the event. Why isn't it on the table? What is with this withholding? I'm withholding uh, or we're keeping that quiet for now. What What is with that? If you've got a, a an event that has happened to you. And there it is in front of you, you know, unless the goddamn beings are beside you saying, keep your damn mouth shut, which I don't know, maybe that's the case. But why wouldn't you just lay it all out on the table if you've got evidence like that? I could understand if it was a uh, you were told something or or something conveyed information to you telepathically and you don't want to talk about I can understand that. But when you've written down binary code that supports your story. Uh, and it happened at the event. You've written this down. I mean, that's data every bit as good as um, as as any other as you know the, the the alleged radiation and the depressions in the ground and halt and all of the other people witnessing this stuff. Uh, I mean, you're withholding that. Why are you withholding that? I would love to ask him this. Like, what's the purpose in that? We don't like the way it was handled the first time. Well. What makes you think releasing it any other way is going to make it less mishandled? This is when you put something in the public view, that's what happens. It gets mishandled. So I fail to understand that. So 14 pages, not 12 pages. Correct. Now it's, it's 14, yeah. Um, and of those six pages of ones and zeros, the message that they deciphered was a, about a haiku length? I mean, well, there was a, you know, from what I first saw it put out on the net, there was – See, it's weird because parts of it are decipherable, and then parts of it are not. 
or don't seem to, it's as unintelligible or you know something like that um and and it seems to me parts like like Angela mentioned in the beginning there are things in parentheses that are i'm assuming are inserted for readability well i don't think you can do that <laughs> i don't think that you can do that uh, that something seems not right about that that you're that you're possibly okay well they mean this let's not do that Let's just read it for how it is. And if it's unintelligible, it's unintelligible. Uh, in which case, does it mean anything? In which case, are we going to try to decode it as language? Or should we be trying to decode this as image? There's an interesting thing about that because binary code can also work visually. So should we be trying to run this through something that can that can spit out some kind of possible image if it's God knows, I mean, who knows what that could be? Should we be trying to figure it out, out this in, in a verbal language? I don't know. The other thing uh, he's saying here is um, they had some other experiences, and he also had full, total recall, whatever that means. Right. Of what? I don't know. So he has total recall, and they had some other experiences that he's not sharing, right. uh, and they have some future work to do. So all of this is a setup. Uh, to be around for a long time. For more, right. <laughs> well, it's for more, yeah. Yeah, there'll be more. Here's more now. But you knew that it was code. I knew it was code because uh, that's the, the impression that was left with me at the uh, contact site. And the other impression that you got when you touched the glyphs was that the... Um, Craft was in some sort of repair mode, right? No, it uh, not no. I it was. I had an impression that it wasn't in the exact location it was supposed to be. Okay. Which is but, different than repair mode. I mean, okay. It was. It had con. It, its contact was done uh, on purpose and by and with John and I. I mean, there's. It's um, evident for that. Uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, but it wasn't supposed to be exactly right there, which uh, some of the coding is now showing the, the exact location. Where was it uh, supposed to be, do you think? High Brazil. High Brazil. You think yeah. it was? I now, it was. I looked at Linda's site, and the longitude-latitude coordinates... Mm-hmm. In the code that, that you put down, there isn't a code that depicts where the decimal point should go. And, sh- and she made a little chart in there that without knowing where the decimal point goes, it could be in one of like 24 locations. Yeah, probably. And you had earlier said that you felt that Woodbridge was the uh, correct location and that ancient aliens had it wrong. So now you've changed your mind? No, I've actually felt uh, that maybe it wasn't a good idea that ancient aliens, uh, that site became known. And I got, uh, I talked over John and, uh, and we said, well, since it is correct, we might as well not try to deny it and uh, um, let the information lay like it is. Ancient Why aliens would you deny it anyway? Because we we started 
uh, doubting things to ourselves. Uh, why was it the contact was only given to us, the information? It wasn't broadcast on national uh, world radio or anything like that. So we figured, well, is this information releasable? Did they want it that way? Um, and so this was going through our minds, and I actually uh, uh, thought it would be harmful if they actually uh, knew the location of High Brazil. Uh, and uh, when If who actually it, knew the location? The, the government? The world. Everybody. The world. Anyway. It's not really, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't given to everybody in the world, was it? It was given to me. Well, and since you brought this up, um, I do have a question from someone you know, I think, Ronnie Dugdale, who attended the reunion event, and he says he's a friend of yours. He sure is. Um, he read your post today on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And uh, you announced that you realize the importance of the binary code there, and the rest of the dozen or so pages are being deciphered now. I assume you gave those to Linda, the rest of them? No. Who did you give them to? <laughs> I'm not going to release that. <laughs> well, why? <laughs> because of security. Okay. So you didn't give them just copies? The, the information is being looked at by experts. All right. Um, what, I'll, what I will do for skeptics, I'll take the, the six pages that are now everywhere in the world that have been published. Those six pages, I will actually do authentication on the notebook that can tell that for some reason, I guess people doubt it. I don't care why. I don't care about that. But uh, to satisfy a few people, I guess I, I will go this step. We'll get the page uh, dated and uh, the ink dated for the uh, year it was written. Uh, but that's as far as I'm going to go with it. Yeah, I knew there were some naysayers, you know, saying that should be tested. It could have been added later for this uh, reunion. And I wondered how you would respond to that. Well, that's what I'll do, you know, because let's face it, Angela, this is how it's going to work. I go ahead and get it authenticated by experts that this is 1980 document. The ink is from 1980, and now they'll find something else they want to use. As, uh, right. You know, there's always something else. There uh, is. Uh, it's just like when we got to Woodbridge that we put that lighthouse thing, that ridiculous thing about lighthouse to bed. Uh, someone made a career off that, by the way, a skeptic. And uh, so they, we put that to bed. So what does the BBC put out? They have an uh, uh, interview over there, and now they say it's an Apollo spacecraft. And a helicopter. Okay, that, that one's even more ridiculous. I mean, I don't know why they're trying to, uh, uh, I mean, the evidence is clear. Jeremy, who, uh, who's deciphering the binary code? Uh, can't tell you for security reasons. Top men. <laughs> can't tell you. Top uh, men. Top men. <laughs> Top men. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, so there's a, there, there to me is, is a, another big problem. Number one, we don't know who's doing it. Chances are, and I'm guessing here, but I don't know for sure. I'm guessing this is someone Linda Moulton Howe is hooked up with. And so doesn't anybody find that to be a problem? I mean, not that, uh, I'm not saying anything about her trustability, but it's like, can't we take this outside of a UFO circle in some way? 
Like, couldn't Jim have taken this to somebody? I don't know. <laughs> Do any number of computer experts out there to to this try and decipher binary code? I mean, do we have to always go through a ufologist to do that? That seems problematic to me because a ufologist is always going to try and find something, you know, ufologically related or something that, uh, you know, uh, I mean, we've seen this time after time with uh, uh, all sorts of evidence. You know, we'll we'll keep going from one expert to another until we get the answer we want, you know. Um, that to me just seems kind of iffy i don't know that i would i don't know that i would buy anything that this whole uh, segment is disgusting i mean i, I yeah. wonder is angela just sitting there going oh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well yeah probably yeah uh, I, mean, I mean you're really you're gonna bring your notebook to someone who's gonna tell you that the pen and paper were from 1983 that's gonna happen no i doubt it it's not gonna happen no I mean, I, I don't that cost, I'll, and is it even possible? I well, mean, I'll put it to you this way: I, I, yeah, you can date paper, sure, but do I have any doubt that this is written in the notebook that he used that night? Oh, yeah, I believe that. I can, I can totally believe that. Yes. Um, are you going to date the ink? You, I suppose you could, if you wanted to spend that kind of money to get ink, uh, you know, tested in that way to say. But does that prove when it was written? No, that doesn't prove anything. Nothing. I mean, for all we know, that book was in a drawer. And had the pen stuck in the back of it. <laughs> so what does that prove? I mean, that doesn't do anything. So any skeptic saying, well, I want to make sure that that paper and that pen is dated, that doesn't prove anything. And I don't think, honestly, that's going to appease anybody if he gets a, you know, goes off and spends all this money you know, to have that tested. I just think that's ridiculous. All right. Shall we continue? Yes, let's. You would have heard a helicopter. Yeah, you think you think uh, 160 Air Force Security Force members would know what a helicopter sounded like? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I agree. Especially when, yeah, especially when they're stationed there. But anyway, in this uh, in your Facebook post today, and I quote: "These codes are truly unique, and were given by travelers through time." They tell us of a probe which was sent to planet Earth on December 26, 1980. Its mission to record the past and to document all that was done. Further to instruct us on the events which will occur. Now, Ronnie said in a previous correspondence with you, you told him that the binary code was a message sent for a few for a few intended and not for all of humanity. And this was the reason you felt at the time you could not share its content. So, yes, Ronnie, yes, Ronnie, John, right? <laughs> so, Ronnie asks, why, if the message is not meant for all, would you bother to say anything about that part of the message? And how could you make this determination if you didn't know what the code was saying and the last pages are just now being deciphered? Did you receive some other telepathic message that suggested to you not to share it? I knew what those six pages said before they were deciphered. Yes. You did? Yes. Then my question for you would be, if it, the, if it was intended to land at High Brazil, which is out in the sea, and it's some mythical uh, undersea island, sort of like a lost Atlantis is, is my understanding... 
why did you get the code? It's in the wrong spot. Who would have gotten it under the water? What's going on with that? Well, obviously, I can't walk on water. So uh, they got me at, the, I guess, the nearest uh, uh, Vortex location, which is a high EM in that area. So I think that's why they were attracted to that area. <laughs> Jeff, come on. What are we doing? <laughs> I, I'm calling bullshit on this whole thing. What, what is well, this? These are the same guys that went on Larry King and presented a coherent, rational, here's what we saw, here's everything we know. You know, you can't really debunk this because it's not a, a lighthouse uh, we're trustworthy army men. We know the difference between this, that, and the other thing. This is the same Force, set of people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is insane. This is like they went off, he went off his meds or something. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, I See, and here's what's really disappointing. I mean, this is what's really disappointing. When I heard this interview and when I've heard, you know, different things about the net when I was – Leading up to listening to this, I was just like, oh, no. Oh, no. It's amazing to me that, first of all, that the binary codes were are just coming out. I mean, they're just coming out. That's problem number one. Problem number two, I knew what they said anyway. I knew what they said before they were decoded. And let me tell you what where my problem lies with this. And here's where we're going to play something else. And this is not Angela Joyner's interview. This bit of audio is coming off of uh, YouTube, and this YouTube uh, film was shot at the 30th anniversary discussion over there in the UK, and I'm going to read this description right off of the YouTube where this is posted. The username attached to who we should thank, is LCDVASRM, so thank you, sir, which I, I'm sorry I can't pronounce <laughs> your YouTube handle, but that's where it's coming from. And this was filmed at the occasion of the 30th anniversary of the Reynoldson Forest incident. James Penniston responds to the question, how could you keep this unknown, uh, I'm assuming binary code, this unknown from others so long before you finally decided to expose these 12 pages, now it's 12 pages that this man has put out, of binary code. Uh, and it says this video is released under the, the, the license Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, so on and so forth. And we have attributed it to LCDVASRM. Now, in this audio, this very astute person in the audience says, how do you keep this quiet? How do you, how do you petition the government that you want the truth about this, but yet you're withholding uh, data from your very own sighting? And how could you do this? How could you not open your mouth? Now, he asked this to Mr. Burroughs. And listen to what Mr. Burroughs says, and keep in mind what I told you all to remember that Jim just said about Burroughs and, the, and the, you know, that he knew about the binary code. And so let's listen to this audio real quickly, and we'll come back. I understand that if the government doesn't understand something, they're going to squash it. They're going to hide it. But if you've got 12 pages of binary codes, and you're going to sit on that for 30 years and not think that's relevant or some way... You know, you only sort of realized this, you know, 10 months ago or, or whatever. I just can't. Wait, 12 pages. 12 pages is a lot to sit on for 30 years. And then you, you point fingers at the government for covering up stuff they don't understand. 
guy in the audience saying 30 years later we're getting this why not before and jim's answer was because it didn't mean anything you understand it didn't mean anything to me the guy says why didn't you have this uh why didn't you take this to be deciphered by someone and the guy and Pennison says why but yet he knew according to this interview with angela he knew what they were he knew about them he knew what they were they obviously meant something they were important so there is the real reason that I wanted to point this whole show out <laughs> in this direction. I mean, I mean, we can take off from here and listen to uh, little bits and bobs of Angela's show from here on out. But here's the real problem. They didn't mean anything. And we're going to provide the link to this gentleman's uh, video on YouTube for you all to watch. And please note body language. Please note the look on the face. Please note how... Uh, after that question is asked, he says, you know, just to put yourself in my shoes, you've just seen triangular craft, unknown origin, it appears, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's not answering the question. You know, it's more, it's it just, it's it's like, you got to put yourself in my shoes. No, you just said they didn't mean anything to you. And now on an interview with Angela, you're saying you knew what they were before they were even deciphered. <laughs> so clearly they weren't gibberish. Right, well, like you, you're, yeah. yeah I mean, you're saying look at the body language, uh, and I got to tell you, I mean, that was the first thing I said to you mm-hmm. was just looking at the way this guy is answering him. Um, you know, he's looking around, he's like waving to people in the audience. Well, no, that's Burroughs that does that. Burroughs is the guy who waves to somebody. Right, right. But the two of them, mm-hmm. I'm saying the two of them combined, um, it reminded me. I had said to you, it reminded me of the Pickering brothers. Mm-hmm. Sean and Clay Pickering, who um, you know tried to scam everyone with 
you know, some military, you know, insider knowledge, blah, 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 and it ended up being some bondage dominatrix guy or so, you know. <laughs> okay. You remember that? <laughs> yeah, I didn't follow it, but whatever. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they got caught because they were coming to you live from uh, a secret Hush Hush UN meeting uh, that somebody recognized from, I believe, the iPhone image as the local YMCA. Uh-oh. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Busted. Yeah. So, but in any event, I mean, I talked to them uh, on a number of occasions, live and in person, and they have the exact same body language as these two people. Really? Like completely that that odd, guarded, aloof. I don't really care about what you have to say to me. Right. Uh, holier than thou, bullshit artist attitude. Well, I've I've stopped this video because, like, we were reviewing it right before. You know, we were deciding where to stop this. You all watch the whole thing and you can hear the whole conversation. But, uh, you know, I've stopped it here at two minutes and 34 seconds, which is where our audio actually stopped in following this. The video is actually six minutes and, and three seconds. I encourage everyone, watch the whole thing. Uh, but I've got it stopped here at 2.34. And I'm guessing that uh, behind... Mr. Peniston on the right, I'm guessing, is that Peter Robbins that's up there beside yes. of Linda Moulton Howe? Okay. And Linda Moulton Howe, looking at both their faces, they show grave concern. <laughs> I mean, this looks like, uh-oh. But clearly, a lot of people in the audience, by virtue of them clapping after the question was asked, were all thinking the same thing. Why now? And um, and his answer is, because it didn't mean anything to me. I didn't, you know, didn't mean anything. But we're getting a much different answer when Angela Joyner asked that question uh, and by what he's offering on her show to her as well. I mean, we're getting a much different attitude towards this binary code stuff. All of a sudden now I knew what it was and I've always known and I knew before it was even deciphered what it said. And what? <laughs> like, and this is this is why I wanted to point this out, because I don't think. Uh, enough people paid attention to Angela's episode with this, and this needs to reach a lot of people because here's the big question: This is a this is a huge hole, huge, and nobody's really talking about it. Uh, I mean, this whole double speak on this thing, and and why didn't you come out with it? Why didn't you just say something like because I thought it would hurt my career? And I think at some point he does say that. You know, I thought this would really hurt my career. And you know what? I could understand that to a degree. But of well, course, if you, pay, if you pay close attention, I mean, his friend who asks the question uh, on Facebook mm-hmm. gives him an out, gives him a pretty good out and says, well, you know, if, if this was just given to you and not, and not for the world, then right. well, then why blah, blah, blah. Is it because they psychically gave you another message? Like he could have just said, yes. <laughs> They telepathically right. gave me another message with the go-ahead. <laughs> right. But instead, it's this topsy-turvy, you know, stick-to-the-script um, nonsense, in my opinion, anyway. Well, it wasn't meant to be there. <laughs> it wasn't meant supposed to be there. It was supposed to be in, in High Brazil. Well, which, then I who keep, would it- which I keep thinking is High Rule from uh, The Legend of Zelda oh. every time I hear that. <laughs> But, I mean, then Angela asked the greatest question in the world. Well, who the hell would they have been talking to out in the water? <laughs> How great is she? I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, beautiful. Who would they be talking to out the Well, I don't know. I guess, you know, they got me close to the land or wherever they could get me. What? What, what are you talking about? 
I mean, I mean, to me, this is all about uh, this is like really bad salesmanship stumbling toward letting us know that there are going to be future revelations. Yeah. And this, of course, is the hallmark of all of the nonsense, all of the disinformation stuff that I can think of from like Richard Doty to Serpo to any of that stuff is you're going to get future revelations. Just hold on. You're going to keep getting a story. Right, right. And well, see, here's where. So if this isn't bullshit, why is it following the classic ufological bullshit template? Yeah. Well, here's the thing that I mentioned to you. I said. I just and this is strictly my opinion and my impression just by watching how some of this stuff has unfolded. And I have it to be honest with you, I'll be honest with the audience and everybody else. I read a decent amount about this thing. I watched everything I could get my hands on about Rendlesham throughout the years that since it's happened. And I've always gotten the impression that of course, number one, we all know there's been a certain divide between uh certain witnesses in this case. Uh, certain witnesses don't want to talk to other ones or don't associate or won't do interviews if one or the other is there and that sort of thing. But throughout the years, watching Peniston kind of tell his account very matter-of-factly of touching it, of writing down the symbols, of seeing it fly away and all of that, and now all of a sudden, I don't know, it just feels like this is not the same person. It feels like this is like he knows or he was told what this is. And now here's your cover and here's how you follow this and you follow it by the book. I don't know. I, I wonder I – don't, I don't assume this, but I wonder were they told what it really was and now they've got to perpetuate a myth on top of it and maybe someone's just not a good enough actor and is slipping up. And it's – I don't know. I mean it just seems strange to me. This doesn't sound or seem like the same guy who recounted his story many times that I've heard in all sorts of media across all the net and the TV and podcasts and all that. He's always been pretty forthcoming. And now all of a sudden there's this guardedness. There's the binary codes. There's the – it didn't mean anything, but I always knew what it meant and – and we've got more, and we're trying to decide how to – I mean all this crap. It's like, oh, come on. What is going on? It could be as simple as um, you know, they don't know what it was, and they're embellishing it as time goes on, just like you say, to keep this thing going. It could be that they know and uh, or they've been told, and now they have to cover some – they have to create a bullshit story around it so everybody like devalues it and throws it away. Um, or it's true. <laughs> I mean, I don't I'm not I'm not buying any of this because there's too much double speak in it to me, but we all know how this shit goes. We know how this thing works and how it can make you look foolish, but I don't know, based on what he's saying, it doesn't seem like the phenomena has made him look foolish. It's like he's made himself look a little foolish to me, at least in my opinion. That's the way it seems. So uh, I guess some listeners will take this and go, well, I, I still think there's something there. Maybe they're just trying to release this in a really cohesive way that it's, you know, uh, people can get their heads around it and they get their point across. But I mean, just listen to this. I mean, just 
something is not adding up and it smells bad. Well, I don't <laughs> Real know. Real bad. Did, did, did you notice? Uh, we sort of let this go, but during this interview with, with Angela, mm-hmm. uh, he tries to throw Charles Halt under the bus a couple of times. Uh, yeah. What's yeah. that relationship? And, you know, I Charles don't. Halt always sounded like the guy who knew more than everyone else, and now it, it looks yeah. like he, he's not in on this part of it. No, I mean, um, I just listened to him, an, an interview with him last night, and it's still pretty much what he has always said. Um, his account of things doesn't seem to have changed, and all of this with uh, uh, Peniston and Burroughs and, and maybe a couple other people seem to be the ones who are taking the big center stage right now. I don't. I know that Halt has done some some media for the 30th and all of that. I don't know what the real relationship is there between all of them. Um, but I do know that he will not go on some interviews if certain people are, are present in that interview as well. Like he's, he very much wants to keep away from that. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, we are going to try to get him on the show and, uh, and I would still, again, uh, if some way, somehow this gets back to, uh, Mr. Peniston, we still want to have him on the show. Cause we want to talk about this stuff. It's not like, you know, we're, we're pointing out what seems or should be obvious to everyone, but, uh, we're certainly not going to ban him off the show and, uh, and, and say, this is, you know, this is all bullshit. We would like to pick his brain and get a little bit more and figure out like, what is going on here? Like what is going on? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, we can listen to uh, a little bit more evangelist thing and then uh, and take it from there and just listen to what else comes out in this interview. So you knew that the first six pages, you knew what the first six pages said, and you've known that for 30 years. I knew that it was a probe. I knew that these were us. There were time travelers. I knew that for 30 years, yes. Why wouldn't I come out and release that? All right, let me run this by you, Angela. Mm-hmm. Here, here's, here's the story. Uh, the second day after the incident, I go to my living room. I have to write down ones and zeros. And these ones and zeros tell about a future, about a uh, uh, time travelers and uh, a probe and things like that, and I write this all down in my living room. Uh, that would have been a career ender, period. They would have relieved me of duty. They would have pulled my PRP. I would never carry a gun, worked around nuke, nothing again. That, that was the end of the career. The other thing it added to this is that uh, when we went to Colonel Halt's office, at that point in time, the whole situation became top secret. So we couldn't discuss it. I was in the Air Force until 1993, which meant it was still top secret, and they still kept track of us during that time frame uh, to make sure that we weren't talking. And then in 1993, when I get got ready to retire, uh, I'm at the CBPO, the Personnel Center, and they give me a big list of stuff that says, okay, this stuff is the classified stuff that you've seen. Uh, you cannot speak about nuclear weapons, their designs, the delivery systems, how long does it take for an IC-8 BBM to destroy its target? Blah, blah, blah. Contingency plans, they're all listed. And I'm looking all the way through this, and I said, hmm, 
well, Rendlesham's not in here. And they go, Rendlesham, well, okay, we'll shoot a message off the Pentagon about that and see if that's still classified. They shoot it off. The following day, I go into CBPO, and they got a message back from the Pentagon. It says, and it's a very odd message, it says that nothing at Rendlesham happens, so therefore nothing is classified. Their response from the Air Force would have been very simple to take care of it, is that Rendlesham Force is still classified, period. And I would, I would never be able to talk about it. That's all they had to do. But instead of saying that nothing classified happened there, which is bizarre by itself, um, and then to say, therefore, nothing is classified, that meant I have a written document that says I can talk about it. It's not classified. Okay. So, so earlier you said that you felt that the contents of the code would all be gibberish, but you right. knew parts of it weren't. Correct. What I felt it said, and if it actually said something, it might be two different things. I mean, I, I mean, there's just no way. Uh, I don't know nothing about computers. Uh, I barely got through uh, uh, algebra, and so chances of me writing any type of electronic uh, information down or, or, or language would probably be uh, the same as me probably, uh, uh, you know, one in a trillion, one in a hundred trillion chance. I don't know. It's impossible. As an aside, do you give a guy who doesn't know basic algebra secrets about nuclear weapons? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've not been in the military. I don't know. All right. I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering how that works. So, okay, if I were going to be judicious, I could make the case that uh, this is um, what it looks like when sort of a nuts and bolts flatlander type of guy has um, some sort of psychic experience mm-hmm. and that that's what's going on, right? So, because he's, he's saying... He had a feeling now. He's not saying he knew in any rational way what this code said. He's saying he had a feeling of what it said, but it it might not actually be what shows up when they decipher the code because he doesn't know how to do the code speak. Mm. So essentially what he's saying is he has a psychic impression or something along those lines of what this is. He Mm. just inherently knows what it means, but he doesn't trust it fully enough to... To, to say that. Right. Right? <laughs> Is that what's going uh, on? I mean, it seems to... I, I, I can't tell if he's <laughs> now here. I mean, is this all garbage, or is he struggling with how to describe what is um, not a cut-and-dry, you know, sort of rational thing that is happening to him? Right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. One can't crawl inside the mind. Wish we could, but we can't. I mean, there's a thing here on Facebook. Uh, it's an analysis of the Rendlesham Forest telepathic binary sequence from ParanormalNews.com. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like uh, a gentleman named Matthew Bryce Lindquist posted a link and Jim commented on it. Uh, he says, I don't know who wrote that article, or nor did he interview me. Not a bad article, uh, for I do not understand all of it either. However, do not go by what is on Linda Malton House site. We 
under mutual agreement, broke off pending work together at the Mississippi conference. We are currently looking into, or I'm sorry, we are currently looking for someone to start a website up for us so we can continue to push the truth out there. It is a forever constant battle against people publishing things without getting the facts. Although this seems like a pretty good article, I think he makes some very logical points. The only thing that I see really wrong with the info is no telepathically, well, (laughs) let me kind of correct the spelling here. No telepathic information was done. Uh, It was done by touching the symbols on the craft and initiating a technology which I nor anyone else apparently understands. We also did not plan to have this released. It was by accident. We were doing investigations ourselves to back up this claim with hard evidence, but we think having our own website under our control would have eliminated bogus and incorrect information about this incredible event. And so then a guy named Mark Bryant says that the Chinese are working on that technology. They they can actually teleport info, uh, and he read a paper on that last month. Uh, It's called uh, Photonic Transfer, if anyone in the listening audience wants to go look that up. Um, in which, at which point, uh, Jim Pennison says, no kidding. You mean this could actually be applied science. And that was the last reply from him in that particular thread. So he's not saying telepathic. He's saying a technology was put forth when he touched the symbols. And that's where this binary code came from. It was a technology thing, not a telepathic thing. So I just wanted to point that out because it's an interesting little wrinkle there. And so did he... Did he have the feelings back then of, well, they came to me with this information, so it can't be for everyone, and mm-hmm. so therefore did he keep it from his superior officers on that basis? Who knows, yeah. I mean, it's uh, – and, and so now he's dumped Linda Moulton Howe because because she's <laughs> giving off what he considers to be false information. Is that what says, says, do, it says, however, do not go by what is on Linda Moulton Howe's site. We, under mutual agreement, broke off pending work together at the Mississippi Mississippi Conference. I guess. I guess that's what that's saying. I'm not sure. It's, I'd love to know what the real story is. I don't know. I don't All know. right. <laughs> Carrying on. Yes. All right. We're going to take a short break right now, about five minutes, and uh, we'll be back with the second half of the Joiner Report with my guest, Jim Penniston. I'm learning a lot. And I hope you are, too. Hi, I'm Angela Joyner. Come on, girl. If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary Internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it. We take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. 
Welcome back to the second part of the Joiner Report at www.inceptionradionetwork.com. This is my second show with this new network, and I am very pleased at how things are working out. I'm your host, Angela Joyner. You can find out more about me at AngelaJoyner.com, and you can also get in touch with me on Facebook. I have a blog here at, in- at Inception also. You can ask me questions there. I try to check it um, daily. Sometimes it's a couple of days nowadays. <laughs> but uh, tonight, I've been talking with Jim Penniston, and uh, most of you know that uh, he is one of the main witnesses for the Rendlesham Forest incident. Are you back with me, Jim? I'm here and ready for more questions. <laughs> All right. That's good. Now, um, we were just talking uh, about uh, if you had released the uh, binary code at the time, it would have been a career killer for you. And you were also um, told uh, not to talk about it. It was a top-secret event. Isn't that right? That's correct. And then you retired in 93, and you went under hypnosis in 94, and more information came out about the binary code at that time, correct? That's correct. But apparently, no one, not even Linda Howe, was really interested in it at the time. And so, what do you think the History Channel got popped up about that all of a sudden they say, yeah, we want to know what this is? Well, they, I had the uh, codes uh, in the book there. They, they, the film crew seen it, the producers seen it, and he went, that, that's, that's significant. That needs to be checked out. Okay, Jeff. So I'm done being judicious. <laughs> okay. Here's the problem. Here's problem mm. number 587. All right. All right. Um, he wasn't certain what the code was because he hadn't read it because he doesn't know how to read that code. It just looked like gibberish to him. But he intuitively knew what the code meant. Uh. Um, and he has known since the 80s what this code meant, uh. whether he'd read it or not. So when he tells Linda Moulton Howe about this code, and she's not interested, does he tell her, wait a minute, I actually know what the code means, so that it's not just a bunch of ones and zeros to her, but is actually like, oh my god, I know what this means, and now we have to decode it to prove that that's what it means? Because wouldn't that be a whole game changer in terms of how she would perceive the code, the importance of the code? Well, we, I, uh, yeah, and you're alluding to why she didn't pick up on it, right? I mean... Yeah, it would be. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. That would be a game changer. That would be big news. Yes. I mean, at that point, when you're bothering with hypnosis and you're bothering talking to a researcher about this stuff uh-huh. and you're bothering to actually say, I have this code, uh, and then you can, you know, it's one thing to say, well, I don't know why. I don't know why I shouldn't pick up on it. I don't know why I shouldn't. When, isn't it on you to say this is what the code means? Yeah. And I know this because when I touched the symbol on the craft, I osmoted this information through some technological process from right. future humans. Right. None of that was important. <laughs> uh, welcome to my aggravation. <laughs> I, it, yeah. It, I feel like this is a scratch and sniff episode because I smell bullshit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, there you are. Maybe we should have Linda on and, and ask her what the real story is here. I've asked Linda to come on and she won't reply to me. <laughs> it's, it's another theme in this story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's that. <laughs> All right. Let's carry on with this. Like it means something. So they sent it to their own experts to evaluate, and then Linda sent it to her experts to evaluate. Well, I, no? No, I, I sent it to Linda. I says, find two experts. Okay. We can trust that we'll not publish it all over the Internet. And she says, I know two of them. So and then cool. later she released it on, on earthfiles.com, her site. Well, those six pages, uh, the reason that she released them is because um, uh, the History Channel had those six pages were released. And then, uh, you know, so that's now public domain. And the other thing is, is that we had planned on using those codes uh, in the uh, our presentation that we do with John and myself and Linda. And we're going to be doing it in the, uh, uh, the, the Phoenix area for the uh, International uh, 2011 UFO event, and so we're going to. Well, that was the idea, and we were actually going to release that information probably uh, at the International UFO Conference. But the History Channel started; they changed their plans, deviated off what show they were doing, and they ran that seven-minute segment on their final show uh, on the 30th uh, when we were flying back to the states. Had you asked the History Channel not to do that, and they did it anyway? Uh, The History Channel and I agreed to do that. It was, of course, you know, there's no money involved. I mean, it was a question of just releasing it. Uh, uh, No, that was part of uh, what I agreed to with the uh, Prometheus Entertainment. Why do? Why would you say uh, otherwise? I don't. Because you said you weren't going to release it until UFO Congress in uh, February when you three will be speaking there. Right, but you understand how it works with uh, uh, documentary companies, picture companies. You're constantly Mm -hmm. things change from today to tomorrow, and we discuss things and we have different conversations and we uh, progress to different levels at different times on where we're going to what we're going to. Okay. Fair enough. That's exactly how it works. It's just normal process of uh, talking it out, and uh, we then we decided. I, I decided that you know, well, we might as well do the release uh, publicly uh, at the event on the twenty eighth at Woodbridge, England, and let the people that have the most interest in it, the people that have been following it the closest, know about it first, and then on the thirtieth, then it would be for uh, national. Uh, con- Assumption through the uh, Ancient Alien series. All right. So these last pages, uh, what are there? About six more pages, you think? Uh, about uh, eight, maybe nine. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to look at them first. You know, I'm not teasing anybody with it. I'm going to see. If well, what I was going to ask are: Will those be released at uh, UFO Congress in February? I am. I am Thinking about releasing them, yes. Uh, I don't know about the Congress or not. Uh, I'm thinking about releasing them, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm. It's really right now between John and I to discuss a little bit farther on this. Uh, we don't want to uh, jeopardize anything with it, and uh, and I got a feeling we will release those final pages. But uh, you know, there's just just. Just to put a clamp on the rumors, there's 
There's no advantage for John and I on releasing this stuff. There's no monetary gain. There's nothing like that happening. I mean, this is uh, information that we will share, and that that's just it. I mean, there's just nothing else there. Um, okay. It's just, so it's, it's going to be shared eventually. I think so. I think we'll end up doing that. Um, you know, then, you know, let the people do what they want with it. If they were really smart, they'd probably go ahead and read it and uh, um, uh, and take it for what it is. It's a, it's a message that's given to us uh, from a first contact situation, and I think they ought to use it like that uh, rather than uh, try to come up with weird theories and motivations and stuff like that out of it. Because there's nothing for us to gain off it. Well, except money and fame, that is. <laughs> and a lifetime of speaking engagements. And a movie deal. And this documentary. And so on and so <laughs> forth. But uh, here's a question. It's a first contact scenario with yeah, what is future humans? Right. First contact with the future of us? Right. So that's not aliens. Yeah. Yeah, I I I think you've got the point well in hand of why I'm going. What? <laughs> I yep. mean, it really is like a like somebody put a bunch of ufological concepts in a blender and said, "Here, Jim, read this." Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it totally is. Drink this and read from this script. And it's so fucking disappointing. I mean, it really, really is. I mean, it really is. And, <laughs> Uh, it was, I mean, it's not like I don't, I, I would hope that nobody bet the farm on one case, you know, but this held so much water for so many people, you know, like this was a good case. This was an interesting case. And while there were still skeptics who would argue it, you know, the, those arguments didn't hold up at all. Uh, you know, the lighthouse theory and I mean, uh, all of that stuff. I mean, it's just like, come on, that was a joke. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. The skeptics, it, I mean, I, I would love to amazing. know what just they, amazing. I mean, maybe we should have on Derek Bartholomew or some, you know, some someone from a skeptical organization to just ask them. So did these guys just hand you uh, the golden goose or what? I mean, like, do you even need to defend this anymore or defend your position on this anymore? These guys are are making your case for you at this point. Yeah. Well, when when Dr. David Clark was on the show and we talked about Rendlesham, I mean, again, he said there's been a lot that has – it's not just the binary codes, but there's a lot of other quote-unquote facts that have been put out about this case that don't reflect the original reports that were put out at the time of the incident. And um, you know, and that's where he said he had a big problem. And I said, well, what about these binary codes? Where did that come from? That's just erupted uh, suddenly. He's like, well, Exactly. You know, it's just like, and his his whole discussion with me is how a story starts, how it's embellished over time, how it becomes a myth. You know, and um, and I got to say, I always kind of hated the aspect of ufology or anyone talking about the UFO subject and bringing up Rendlesham and calling it the UK's Roswell. So I was like, oh, don't do that because that's no, no, it's well in its class there. I mean, as far as I'm concerned anymore, it's well within its marks of being the UK's Roswell, because Roswell to me is, again, that same kind of myth building 
And that's I think we're seeing that in action right here. I mean, that's it. Um Yeah. So I'm still I'm still waiting to figure out or to hear uh where hypnosis came into play. Like why did he undergo hypnosis? I mean he wrote down these twelve or fourteen or fifteen or however many pages. Sixteen. Yeah, right. Oh, there could be eight or nine more pages. Right. Yeah, how do you not know that, you know? How do you not know? So he's got these uh, 52 pages of binary code uh, <laughs> that he's had all these years. So right. what was the hypnosis for? Did, did, do we learn this anywhere along the way? Do you know? I, I don't remember. I was pretty flabbergasted by everything else that we've heard up to this point. So um, <laughs> I say listen onward and, and see, but I don't, I don't think that that's gone into in any great depth, no. Okay. There are several uh, groups on the internet that have been looking at the code and trying to decipher it for themselves. I mean, it is the internet buzz. Everybody's working on it. And I have a board at Open Minds Forum, and there's some good people there working on it. And um, they had some questions that maybe you could clear up to help them make it a little more um, accurate. Um, one of those questions is from Lee, and he says, uh, or he asked, do you feel the length of characters per line and per page is significant, and do you feel the code should be interpreted line by line, page by page, or as a whole sequence? I have no idea. I know nothing about binary code. I don't know okay. nothing about the structure. I, 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 I'm a security uh Air Force security policeman. I mean, ask me about uh, terrorists and tactical deployments, I can tell you. Uh, I don't know nothing about uh, binary code. Well, it looks like, um, from what I've read, and I don't know anything about it either, but it, it, it looks like it's apparently a combination of the 7-bit and 8-bit ASC2 code, which is throwing things off. So um, there, you know... You said yourself it would be incredibly hard. This would be a tedious task just to write it down uh, from this picture in your mind or from memory, you might say. So do you feel that you could accurately write down the code without error? I can write the code down as I see it. I mean, as I recall it from the, the pictures, yes. So great, let's uh, let's have him do that. That was going to be exactly what I said. <laughs> yeah, can we have Let, him do that right now? Could could right. we give him a pen and paper and he could recall it right now? Fourteen yeah. pages of binary code. Yeah, let's do that. Um, you know, for my money, if you don't know how to write binary code, and for some reason Angela Joyner knows all about binary code, <laughs> like, that looks like two forms of binary code. Well, that's the kind of simpleton mistake that uh, a moron who doesn't know binary code would make in trying to fake something like this, right? Mm -hmm. Accidentally combining different types that you don't know anything about. I mean, would future humans really do this? (laughs) There is the other question. I mean, there is the whole other (laughs) – there's the whole other ball of wax, you know? There are other ways to communicate. Why wouldn't you try English? How about that? (laughs) Wouldn't that work pretty well? Let's see. We're landing in the UK. We're sending the probe to the UK. Bob, what kind of com- what kind of uh, you know communication you think we want to use? Tones, music. Uh, how about binary? 
And how about why you're at it? You make it really hard to decipher because that'll make them work for it. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give them binary code, but we're going to communicate through telepathic technology right. in English right. <laughs> what it means. Hey, Bob, by the way, we were supposed to land over there in high Brazil in the water. Unfortunately, we landed on a joint military UK base. <laughs> I mean, U.S. military. Yeah. I mean, really? Uh, what will the mermaids this, this say? guy touched it, man. He touched it. And uh, guess what? Mistakenly, we gave him two forms of, of ASC2 code. <laughs> Whoops. Well, they're going to have a hell of a time figuring that one out, aren't they? Maybe it – maybe – Someone should plug it into a computer and see if it forms a video game. I, I, I'm telling you, I would like to see if it makes a picture. Why not? Let's try that. Let's try other ways of deciphering it. Let's My guess see. is you'll end up with a blop, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> but that's what we've got anyway. So That's what we got anyway, right? Let's listen to more of this blop. I mean, okay. Uh, I mean, what it means exactly and then the variations, I, uh, you know, I, uh, that's beyond... My, uh, so you, you feel like you've written it down accurately? Absolutely. All right. On page two, and I don't know if you have it in front of you, where the coordinates are, there's a character that it looks like a zero with a one at its center. And um, they're wondering if you could clarify the meaning of that, if, if that's how it was intended. Angela. Yes. Ones and zeros. <laughs> I don't know what they. I don't know what they mean, deciphered or not. These are what the experts are saying that it says. I have no idea that what the cipher looks like. I mean, I don't know how to do that. It's beyond my capability. All right. Well, they were wondering if you just got the zero and one close together when you were writing it down. They're supposed to be separate or, or whatever. But well, uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, they're more than welcome. To look at the. Uh, actual page on uh, on the uh, earth files they can do oh that. they have they have they've looked at it they just can't determine what was meant there but um i understand i, I wouldn't be able to uh, decipher it either it's it's kind of for those uh mathematician type people <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean I, i'm in a poor position i mean i i just don't know uh, anything about it i mean i'm just uh, a person that copied things down that were flashed in their in their mind. I mean, that's pretty much it. I don't know. I don't know anything more than that. Another question is, and they're trying to figure out, I know, 7-bit or 8-bit code. They're trying to figure out, is one or the other supposed to be used? They would like to know if you know or can you find out the software and the computer system that was used at the time in 1980 on the base? Well, we used... Uh Linear word process machines. I don't know what that uh, would have to do with it. Uh, those are word processors. Okay. Okay. I I never seen a computer while I was stationed at the the base outside of word processing. Okay. So. so well, you just said yeah, that you're uh, not a computer guru, and neither yeah. am I. So I understand that. I wouldn't remember 30 years ago what somebody was doing and all the. Things going on with computers. I know this much. I know when I was at Offutt Air Force Base in '73, we had a building that was four stories high and uh, uh, measured uh, uh, half a football field, and they had one computer in there. That's how big they were at the time. I know that. Yeah, I know it had, had tubes. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know much about it. I know it required security, and we had to guard it. 
I mean, I don't know much about uh, computers. We've come a long way since then. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, you've said that uh, this was given to you by travelers through time. Can you comment more on that? No. Mm. Can you tell us if they were from the future or from the past? No. I'm not going to comment on it. Why? Uh, I'm working out things myself on this. Um, I, uh, I I know this much. Anytime I'm on a, in a public forum, whether I'm on a radio show or whether I'm doing a documentary, it's forever. It's history once I say it. And what I want to do is I want to look at it, and before I make a comment on it, I want to be sure at 100% in my own mind that's what I'm trying to say. Jeremy? Yes, Jeff? He's had 30-plus years to think about it. <laughs> What's to think about? 30 years, right? I mean, I you know, once you do a radio show or uh, print media, it's forever. And, you know, I want to make sure I've got everything right. You've had a lot of years to think about this. Come on. <laughs> 30 years? I mean, I can understand what a monumental event it would be to meet a time travel probe in the middle of the woods while you're in the military and all that weird shit happens. Yeah, I get it. But well, can, certainly... you, can you talk to us about were they, you know, were they time travelers? I mean, can you, they were time travelers. Yes. Yes. Can you tell us more about that? No. <laughs> well, he makes it very clear. I could. I'm just not going to. Right. <laughs> I've got to work this out for myself. Meanwhile, a few weeks ago on Facebook, he and Burroughs both posted that they uh, were brought in, into a bubble and brought into the future. Oh, that's coming. That's coming up. Okay. So, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Yes. Continue. I read in your uh, one of the accounts of your hypnosis in 94 that you said they're travelers through time. They are us. Is that correct? That was under hypnosis, yes. All right. So it would be uh, humans either from the future or from the past. Based one or on the that, other. Based on the hypnosis? Yes. That's, that's what it's saying, yes. Okay. So uh, that would mean we're not really dealing with aliens here. That's what it means. So you walked around this craft for 45 minutes. You you estimated 45 minutes. And in that time, you say you lost John. Now, he remembers it differently. So can you comment on that? Well, our hypnosis, my session and the one he did, I guess, uh, independently in uh, 87, they're... they're, they're uh, Almost identical under hypnosis. Okay, so it's just uh, in his conscious mind, he didn't recall what John you has. Did. John has memory losses consciously on the uh, on some parts of it, and so but, do I on some parts of it. But together, we sussed out some of the information. Yes. So the hypnosis accounts by the both of you are. The same. Pretty much. Pretty much the same, yes. I mean, we might use different terms or stuff like that, but uh, it's, it's pretty much the same, yeah. 
Okay. Is there anything outstanding uh, between you that you don't agree on or that you remember different, differently? Oh, quite a few things. Uh, <clears throat> one of them was uh, uh, I was adamant about, too, that uh, Ed Kabanzak, our third member, uh, was left back for a radio relay. And uh, then when I, and it's always been that way for 30 years, I've said the same thing. And John's disagreed with that. And uh, he said, no, he's with us. And so when uh, we went out and recreated the, uh, lo- you know, the uh, uh, went out for the, the situation with the uh, film company, we ha- I did have total recall, and there I did remember Kabanzak with us, you know, in his position on my team where he was at, where John was at. I mean, I had total recall that I was so John was actually right about that, and uh, and uh, I didn't know. Uh, Otherwise, till the uh, you know the twenty sixth of December of uh, of uh, two thousand ten, that that was the case. I mean, there's other things that come up too that uh, like the location, and, and some of this is because of false memory implanted by the NSA or whoever it was at OSI. Uh, I thought the location was uh, some uh, uh, seven hundred yards different from where it was, and then uh, on the uh, return trip to Rendlesham, John and I worked it out, investigated it like uh, two security policemen would, and we came up exactly where the location was. So that was part of a false memory that was implanted for whatever reason, uh, uh, other than uh, all I can think of is to aid in a cover-up uh, situation, not knowing the exact location. But it was turned out that John was right on that location exactly, and I was wrong. I'm sorry, What? <laughs> What did he just say? False implanted memories. Uh, is that worth commenting on? <laughs> oh, I think so. I mean, is it obvious what's going to come out of my mouth? <laughs> Go ahead. How does he know all of it's not a false implanted memory? Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, Jim, if you're listening to this, take a step back. Let's assume that I'm just going to I'm going to be judicious again and assume you're on the level. Yeah. OK, let's do that. Um, take a step back and look at your old tapes of you talking about this stuff rationally, uh, what you know and what you don't know. And take a look at or listen to how you come across now. And tell me that that's not an easier case to make for some sort of brainwashing that's happened. Now, if I'm going to be less judicious, I'm going to say this could very easily end up being his out. Right? (laughs) Somewhere down the line, it'll just happen to come out that, oh, I have been mind controlled this whole time. Right. Uh, And that's why I was bullshitting. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) This but he seems, all of he this stinks, be, and I don't know, you know, whoever's yeah, yeah. behind it, whoever is behind it, someone is, and it ain't future humans. That's all. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is that I think, in my mind here, listening to this, he's being very careful about his words, and he's being, I mean, he's flat out withholding the whole time traveler thing. I mean, he said, no, nope, not talking about it until I can get it straight. And he said, you know, 30 plus years to do that. And, um, nope. Not 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 coming out with that right yet, but yet all of this other stuff 
the binary codes and all of that, that's, that's all wide open. I mean, we've got that. And, but the binary codes are going to be withheld until we can release them the right way. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess. And I hate to say this, and this is just my opinion and my take. Sounds like it's being made up as we go along. Like, let's get our story straight before we go public. That to me, there's no excuse when you've got something seen by multiple people and, and, and there's all this information and you've had these experiences together with somebody. Okay, look, you know, we both know what happened, you know, Soldier A. Let's talk about this. I mean, here it is. And we're going to present this and this is the truth and there's no reason to hide anything and there's no reason to withhold anything. Give them it all and this is our story. And I thought up until this point that we had the whole story. Roundabout, we had what happened. We had the series of events, the chronology of what happened that night or those three nights. Now, apparently, you know, all of a sudden there's so much more and it all sounds so much more like an X-Files episode. Coincidence? I don't think so. I mean, okay. Yeah, there's some discrepancies like that. But uh, we we did uh, co- cover most of those um, and it came. Uh, it was very easy with Total Recall. Um, and, of course, the other advantage we had <clears throat> is the first time in 30 years the forest looked exactly like it did in 1980. I mean, the, the trees regrew. They were the same height. Uh, so that was all an advantage for us, too, on the return trip. What is this Total Recall he keeps talking about? Total recall. I'll be back. Well, I mean, seriously, he, are you telling me that you both underwent hypnosis, so you fleshed out some memories, and then you went back and had total recall? Right. Let's assume that's true. Do you trust it? I mean, this whole, this whole hypnosis monkey wrench, which at this point in the story is the least of our concerns, well, yeah, frankly. Yeah, yeah. But let's assume that it which is. Which is odd for this show, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. this is odd for this show. Oh, yeah, I kept expecting to asked. stop the tape and be like, what? <laughs> hypnosis? <laughs> that's it. Goodbye. Have a good weekend, everybody. Yeah, that's no. not even the deal killer here. But <laughs> no. <laughs> which is amazing. But it could yeah. be. I mean, if it were nothing else except that they had had hypnosis and then they went back to the forest and had total recall, what does that mean? Of what? Well, See, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't call it total recall. I can totally see going back to this, the, you know, this is what I've said. This should be the replacement for hypnosis is to take that person back to the event where it happened, consciously walk around, talk, look around. Uh, you don't have to shut your eyes. You don't have to do anything. Just walk around and see the familiar sights and maybe get a little something. Do I think that that's going to bring about total recall? Like it's being presented here. Like I remembered it all once I got back to the site. It was all in front of me. No, I don't. That's I, I've not ever had someone tell me that that is how it happened for them. Like, no. Well, you could make the case that hypnosis filled in the blanks for this total recall. Uh, he remembered everything, including well, what it, came up it certainly hypnosis. contaminated it. It certainly contaminated That's what, what he would have remembered in the forward. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Hmm? I would love to know. Uh, I mean, again, let's go back here for a second to Linda Moulton Howe. Um, yeah. if his story is that that she knew and she wrote about, I haven't read the book, but let's assume there's something in there about a code from 1996. Right. She's got to have either the same story about that or a different one, right? Has anyone asked her? I don't know. How that was presented to her, any of that? Has she addressed it? Uh, these people will talk to me, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
All right. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I can see where it would be because it would look totally different in the summer as opposed to right, the winter. Well, yeah, because a couple years after the incident, a few years after, they just cut every tree down. I mean, um, you know, it took almost 30 years for them to get to the same height. Even when we were at the East Gate doing a tour at the East Gate with uh, giving a walkthrough with the, the uh, participants that came for the event, uh, I said, well, you got to imagine how it looked back in 1980. I says, we have pine trees running all the way down this road. I said, but there was a 100-foot clear zone from the fence line at the base perimeter, another 100 feet that ran on the other side of that road. I said, that was for security. We wouldn't allow anything to grow up next to it. But it shows a whole different viewpoint by having trees there. You know, it's something that you have to try to adjust to. Okay. that Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Colonel Halt wasn't at the reunion. Is that right? No, that's correct. And he was, was what, what? He was skiing. He was on a planned ski trip. Was he invited? Sure. And he was invited even though you feel that he was part of the cover-up keeping you and John apart all these years? Yes, we all follow orders. And I'm sure that's what Halt was doing. So uh, you you feel that he did not attend because he was ordered not to? No. I said he was attending a private function skiing in, I believe, West Virginia or someplace. Um you feel that he was ordered to be part of the cover-up? I'm, I'm saying he was ordered to do certain things uh, by the investigating agency, which is probably OSI or Wing Intel. And he was, he was obligated to follow those orders. So how right. can you hold that against a person for following orders? Weren't you obligated to tell anyone about the binary code? Oh, never mind. When did you first start realizing this, that that uh, he was part of the cover-up and that he uh, might be keeping you apart purposely? Uh, actually, uh, 1995, 96. And what led you to this conclusion? Because uh, of the information stream and what was controlled and what was released. What? Okay, can you explain we were, that? We were also, we were also. I mean, I was always in constant contact with Hall. This is a very strange situation. Here I am, enlisted, uh, and he's a, a 06 colonel, full colonel. Um, I mean, uh, during the time at Bentwaters, from 80 to 80, uh, 84, I had at least 14 meetings with him on the Rendlesham incident uh, at his office. I had a couple with OSI, left the base, uh Colonel Halt was in constant contact with me through my next assignment, uh, uh, another assignment, and after that, constant phone calls from him. Uh, then in, uh, he received orders to friends, Belgium. He was going to be the base commander there. Uh, we were in contact again. I was stationed at Bitburg, Germany. Um, so we've always constantly kept in contact. Uh, he is always gauging what's going on. Has anybody contacted you? Has anybody asked you any questions about Reynolds Shum? I mean, these, there's a whole series of things he asked me during the course of uh, my military career and why he was in. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, was I monitored? Yes, I was monitored in many ways. So, uh, you know, uh, the, the most evident one was uh, uh, I went from flight status uh, in 1981, January, 
a month later, I became NCOIC of plans and programs as we wrote all the security police uh, contingency plans, all the uh, uh, forward operating locations, top secret plans, our war plans, uh, base defense plans. I wrote all those. And I wasn't qualified for the job. I mean, they reactivated my top secret clearance, reactivated my cosmic katamo clearance with NATO, and they gave me two guys that worked for me and then trained me for six months for the NCIC position. That is so I could be monitored by our squadron commander, Major Zickler, and also by certain elements of the command element. So it started there, the monitoring. All right, so they gave you that job. So they could just keep an eye on you and, and know what you're doing? Right. I worked directly for Halt on many things. I wrote reports to him uh, for the rest of the course I was in there at uh, Bentwaters. Uh, I was uh, in charge of the eight base security councils we did where they had all 27 uh, full colonels attending there, including the wing commander. I was always under their eye. Um, it's uh, It was... Uh, that's what they did to me. They promoted me and put me in a key position for uh, reporting the Renaissance Forest incident. I was taken care of. Have you ever asked Halt or or your other superior to confirm any of this? Have you ever said, "Hey, are you uh, are you supposed to be watching me? Am I uh, uh, being monitored? Uh, are you part of the cover up of Rendlesham? Have you ever asked any questions?" No, not that way. I mean, if he's under orders, he's under orders. That's how it works. Uh, I did have a, a personal conversation with uh, General Major General Williams, uh, retired not mm-hmm. long ago, a few months ago, a few months ago. And you know, uh, General Williams is very um, apologetic to me. Uh, he uh, said he understood we were not treated fairly by uh, certain elements at the base, and during the investigation, he was truly sorry for that, and. Uh, he uh, understands that uh, uh, that we all had to follow orders and how it works. So that's the closest I'm going to get to an apology from uh, uh, one of my command uh, officers. But that was nice of Colonel Wh- or General Williams to do that. Yeah, it was. He's a very good officer. He always was. He's an academy graduate. He's a, he's top of the uh, line as far as officers, uh, and he's a decent man. So I really appreciate him doing that. So Halt's never said anything to you? Halt has done nothing but ask me questions or ask me who's been contacting me or things like that. Uh, We've had very uh, private conversations, uh, Chuck and I. Uh, I mean, we've been on shoots together. We've been back in the U.K. uh, doing a sci-fi shoot, and uh, we talk quite a bit there. But his is more about questions with me. He's usually asking me questions, not uh, conversation. It's not about conversation like that. I mean, he seems like he still is uh, is uh, monitoring or still uh, appears to be uh, continuing some type of uh, 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 checking my status with it or who's contacted me and stuff like that. You think that could have to do with the fact that you keep coming up with bullshit? That he's like, where is this guy coming from? Well, there's the question. Is this the reason that he won't do certain appearances with certain people? I mean, I, I heard him on a, another interview say... Uh, and I don't think this was necessarily in relation to uh, to Mr. Penniston, but he said there are elements in this story that uh, seem to be in effort to make it look foolish. I think was the way he put it. So, if I were Charles Halt, 
what I would be concerned with is that, I mean, if you listen to this interview really closely, or not so closely, because I don't think it's, this is my first time listening to it, so how closely yeah. can I be listening? Uh, what he's doing, in my opinion, most likely, is planting various seeds, right? And so one of the seeds is there's going to be future stuff coming out right? Uh, about these time travelers, about this binary code, blah, blah, blah. Of course, the other seed that we mentioned earlier is that um, he's got this out, which is that he's being mind controlled. Uh-huh. Um, if I were Halt, I would be very concerned that he will be named as the mind controller at some future uh-huh. date because he is very clearly going after Halt, you know, every chance he gets here. Yeah. Am I wrong in that? I don't think so. I think you're, I think that could be a. That could be a possibility, yeah. I mean, he certainly ha- makes no bones about setting him up as a guy who, to this day, 30 years later, is still monitoring him or acting yeah. as if he's monitoring him. Yeah. I mean, what, is, what else are we to conclude about this? You know, I don't know. I mean, certainly, at the very least, he, he wants to cast aspersions on Charles Holt's character and his role in this and his, his ability to, uh, to tell the truth. So, at the very least, he's trying to sort of shut out Halt's end of the story. Mm. Uh, and at the most, <laughs> we'll, we'll be hearing a whole new tale at some point about mind control. Yeah. Well, that's a possibility. I mean, the one thing that um, that I think is, is an, an interesting dynamic is that you would think that a group of men who served in the military together and who experienced something genuinely weird. And I'll tell you what, even even with all this crap that, that we've heard tonight and all, all the issues that we brought up, I still think these guys experienced something weird. Um, I don't think – I think it's just it, – again, it's it's got embellishment heaped upon it, uh, not very convincingly to me. But do I think something happened there? Yeah, I absolutely do. I still do. I do too. Uh, I just don't know if the, the embellishment is the typical ufological. All right, the 30th anniversary is coming up. Let's create. Let Let's make this the new Roswell. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Let's live off this nonsense. Or if if it is as you say, maybe they were told what it is, and now it's their job to go out and, and spread disinformation. Right. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but wouldn't you think? Isn't it a little weird how? Here's guys who served in the military together, witnessed something very strange together, and at this late date, they have suspicions about each other, and certain factions won't associate with some other ones, and that sort of thing. Like, won't go on the show of unless one goes, you get, doesn't isn't there. And I mean that, I don't know. Like, there's something that's weird about that to me. You would think that they would all be together in in presenting. What happened? And the only way that I see that not being the case is that some of them are embellishing and the others are not. And they're like, well, forget that, dude. I'm staying away from that because you're going somewhere I'm not following. Again, that same kind of, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But I don't want to be – I don't want to attach up, myself to that, you know? Every time he brings up Halt by name, it's a shot across Halt's bow, whereas Halt doesn't go on the radio and mention these guys by name, does he? Um, You know, I've only heard the one interview with him and a couple other ones, and I don't uh, – the other ones I listened to, it's been a couple years ago. So I, I don't think so, no. 
Um, all I remember him saying recently on one that I listened to that, that seemed to be fairly recent uh, was that there are elements of this that I won't get into because it's, it seems like a concerted effort to make it look foolish or something like that. Um, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I'll, you know, where does Larry uh, Warren fit into this? See, that was what I heard Halt say about him was that, and I hope I'm remembering this correctly. Um, so anybody on our message board can feel free to correct me, but the way that he explained it, on the show that I heard was that at the time Larry was identified as someone who could be manipulated and might be a conduit for spreading disinformation. But at the same time, Halt said uh, that he felt sorry for him because he thinks that this whole whatever happened to him has really hurt him or screwed him up as I think as he put it. So, I don't even know what his full story is, but uh, um, maybe that was just by virtue of how I've heard it discussed. It seems to me like he's the one who's really kind of told uh, outlandish things or said outlandish things about this whole case. Halt mentioned something in the interview again that I heard, which was there's this whole load of nonsense about – an alien spacecraft is broken down and there were parts used from the base to fix it or something like that. I don't know what that's all about, but, um, and there's, there's been rumblings over the year of contact with aliens, uh, in the woods during the sightings and all this, and all of that's been, uh, halt. I've heard him say on numerous programs, you know, like I'm not aware of anything like that. So I don't know. It's, they all seem very fractured. Like, I can't imagine a group that experienced something like this together being so fractured for no reason. Like that doesn't make sense to me somehow. And you behind know, you them may... all is Nick Pope rubbing his hands. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Let's not go there. It's, it's an odd situation. I mean, uh, and I'm going to see, uh, uh, Chuck, uh, on a, on the UFO conference and I will bring some stuff up to him and I will talk to him about this. And, uh, I know he's looking forward to meeting me again. And I'm not sure what I think he's going to ask me about the codes and why I probably didn't tell him about them, uh, tell him about the codes. But uh, um, so we're going to have a, probably a heart-to-heart conversation at a table somewhere at that convention. If he does ask you why you didn't tell him about them, what's your answer going to be? I didn't think they were important. You didn't think they were important, even though you knew that they were uh, the first six pages. You had an idea that it told you they were time travelers and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, but that didn't happen until 1994. That was with the hypnosis. Okay. Correct. So at the time, you didn't know any of it. You thought it all could have been gibberish. Correct. And you felt it would be a career killer. I understand that. It was a career killer. I mean, that would have been it. <sighs> Jeff? Yeah? I'm confused again. <laughs> he didn't know until 1994 that what those codes meant intuitively. I thought he knew since the beginning intuitively what they meant. You heard the same interview I did. <laughs> We're listening together. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, so now he's basically saying he didn't know what they meant 
until he had hypnosis. <sighs> yeah. So one of these statements is true. But earlier it was, you one know, I knew, I knew before true. they were even, yeah. you know. Uh, either he knew, either he knew since the 80s, since he touched that object. Right. Or he knew since 1994, since hypnosis. Or he's not differentiating between the two. Once he learned in hypnosis that what he knew when he touched the object was what he about knew. these codes. Right. Right. <laughs> that then it becomes that's his memory. So he's right. always known. I mean I mean that but that's that's so convoluted that I don't even think <sighs> Donald Rumsfeld would say that. Yep, there you are. And I hope that that kind of brings it around for the audience too. <laughs> like you're seeing like just the abs- like you listen to this interview and you just walk away like utterly confused and disappointed. You know, that's where I came from. I mean, I was just like, you know, there's so much doubling back on this that I can't make hide nor hair of what's going on. And Angela does a pretty amazing job. Don't you get, just from listening to this, don't you get, like, that he wasn't quite prepared for some of these questions? And when she goes, why? Or, you know, or kind of brings it round again. I mean, clearly, listen, the guy is falling all over himself. I mean, he just doesn't know how to answer. I love those long pauses. Those yeah. Comfortable long I mean, pauses. again, what does that tell everyone? You know? It, God damn. I mean, it would be an easy thing to blow off if, if this were a new case, but it's not. <laughs> you know? And I still think it holds some importance. So to hear all this going on now with all of this is just thoroughly disappointing. I mean, it's a shame. It really is. Now back to our program. Do you uh, feel that this experienced you, this experience changed you? I know it changed you. Was yes. it for the better or was it for worse? Did it change your morals, your values, the way that you see other people? How did it change you? It uh, is like apples and oranges, night and day. I mean, from the time I walked into the woods, I left a different person. Uh, I'll tell you what, I, uh, some of the things that <clears throat> I change, change within me is the way I, I look at things. I look at the world differently. I look at uh, people differently. I somehow know what's more important than, than more important than careers, more important than money. Uh, there's, life is important. Uh, I have a great appreciation for that. I mean, uh, I'm probably one of the few men that can get can be walking through the woods. And um, I, I, I was uh, by I tell you, I go to this place that has a river running through it, and they have a bench and that. So I'm sitting out there last summer, and I'm watching, uh, you know, the uh, otters play across the the river and that. And then uh, I get fixed in on bees being uh, working getting their honey and stuff like that it's because i have appreciation for life now i didn't have that before it was all about uh uh you know hustle and bustle and what you can get out of life and what you got to do and what you got to make and what you gotta it just changed it completely um i am uh, i'm appreciative for what's around me right now why why is he appreciative how does one follow from the other I mean, I hate to be a complete cynic on this this point, but uh, uh, something came into the woods, scared you, right? Or you you went up and touched it? I mean, what? 
I mean, that, that, that's that's a non sequitur, isn't it? I got nothing to say. <laughs> you touched a futuristic car. Right. What does that do for what? How does that change your attitude toward people? Well, I, I've got a better appreciation for life now that I touched that alien car. Now that I have, uh, <laughs> now that I have men that I serve with spying on me and controlling my life. <laughs> yeah. Boy, it must have sucked to have had that complete overhaul and then still be in the army where you've got to take orders and right. Yeah. <laughs> and then they put the sodium pentothal on you. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> you must really appreciate people more. Yeah. After the rigmarole. After you were abused, yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interrogated by your own military. I don't again, it's like it's like just pulling concepts out of the ufological blender. It's like here, drink this. Yeah. Look, look. Yeah. This'll sound good. You can sell this. This'll be your end point. Except that you have to wrap up a story with with a point that you're drawing out of the actual story. <laughs> you can't just you can't just be like, okay, and the moral to this story is I appreciate life more. The end. When the rest of the story wasn't about that. I gotta say, I'm looking forward to future releases of the binary code. <laughs> I sure am too. Oh my god. This is better than the Bible code. Yeah. <laughs> When these last few pages are deciphered, do you feel it's something that is going to be world-changing? Is it going to really educate us any more than these first six pages? No, I think the actual impact is is the first six pages. I think that what you will find, and I, 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 I'm leaning really strong toward this. I have a feeling that the, the rest of them are... Uh, Additional uh, locations. Additional longitude, latitude locations? Yeah, that's what I believe they are. And um, do you, boy, that would be a lot, six pages line by line. I think it was the second page. I don't know, there might be several more locations. And, and what, what do you think that's supposed to mean? Or why are we supposed to look at High Brazil or, and these other locations if well, that's you know, if what you it look turns at high out Brazil, to be? Well, if you look at High Brazil, I mean, let's face it, High Brazil is a, is a hypothetical situation. It's a folklore. I mean, uh, you know, it's open for a lot of debate. I mean, is it true? Probably not. I don't know. But the location near there is, is, is something I was given. Uh, I think that uh, um, there's additional uh, areas, uh, natural areas. I believe that's what they're giving us is probably the natural areas where these uh, EM and uh, vortexes that, that can be created throughout the planet. Uh, I think there, there's other locations for that. Uh, is there an advantage for somebody to know those? Uh, probably not without technology. I think they're going to need to know how to do uh, build ships and stuff and do time travel if they want to use them. Um, but I think that that's more or less probably what the remaining pages are. I'm guessing, though. I don't know for sure until they're deciphered. Um, but uh, any case, they were important enough to give me, to be given to me. I mean, they must mean something. Uh, I do believe the first six pages are probably the most uh, awing and most astonishing uh, for continuous planetary advancement. I mean, come on now. I mean, you just look at what that says. I mean, what what is it saying? I mean, the fourth coordinate, what does that mean? I don't know what fourth coordinate means either. Uh, but hopefully there's somebody who can figure that out. I mean, it's written in English, but I, I don't know what it means. 
Well, so, yeah, it's beyond my uh, level of understanding. What do you think the number 8100 means? I don't know. I don't know what that means. I, I don't even get a feeling off that. I have no idea. Um, uh, 8100, I don't know. What is that? Uh, what could that be? I don't know. I can guess. I mean, I can make guesses and stuff, but uh, I don't. Uh, Rendlesham has never been about guessing. Yeah. Rendlesham's only been about facts. And that's all we're doing is presenting the facts. I think it's up to somebody with a better education, better experience to try to decipher what all this means. I mean, we're continually just presenting the facts. Um, it's, uh, I mean, there they are. Work with them. Do what you can with them. Figure them out. Do what you must with them. Uh, uh, it's not up to John and I or the other witness to, to uh, determine what exactly happened out that night. It was just for us to report what we've seen and the specifics of what we've seen. And that's what we did. Someone in the chat room is asking if you think you have a role to play in disclosure, which I, uh, it's kind of, I think they mean that in an alien sense. And, and we've already learned that this is the time travelers are more or less uh, human. My, my personal feeling on disclosure will never mm-hmm. happen will never happen. And the reason it won't happen, because 98% of the explainable phenomena on UFOs is uh, orchestrated by people for own self-interest that they're spaceships or aliens or whatever, green people, whatever. And they're all explainable events, 98% of them. The ones, those are the ones that will keep us from ever figuring out uh, anything for disclosure because of all the, uh, uh, I call it the... Uh, uh, the UFO uh, hysteria. Uh, the 2% of the cases that cannot be truly explained, well, those are hardly ever looked at. Those are truly unexplainable. They don't have answers. No, it's not natural phenomena. It's not man-made phenomena. It's stuff we just don't know what it is. There is plenty of those cases. And the case in point is Leslie Keene, she did a book called UFOs, uh, Generals something, the long yes. title, I can't remember. And that was with 14... Uh, uh, fellow uh, uh, military members from around the world, uh, from South America to Europe to wherever, with uh, to Iran, uh, that truly had unexplainable those two percent uh, phenomena. I mean, stuff where they were photographed on nose cams off uh, fighters and shot at and tried to down them, and and they're they're truly unexplainable events. Those, uh, you know, yeah, it'd be great to have uh, full disclosure on that. But when you have people going out saying they were contacted last night by an orb and uh, uh, that they uh, seen aliens in their backyard, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this stuff's ridiculous. I don't believe in UFOs myself, but uh, uh, I mean, I believe that there is 2% of those unexplainable phenomena that's happening. But uh, I, I would say that 90% of people just make things up. That's my true belief on it. Now, wasn't there a witness, was it not uh, Larry Warren that supposedly had an encounter with an orb at Rendlesham? Yes, Larry has some interesting stories. Now, he's one of the witnesses, too. But you've got to remember, uh, here's what happened. We had a cover-up going on. We had uh, people that were given sodium pentothal. Their minds were messed with on, on what they remembered. And uh, Larry was messed with by... Uh, by uh, uh, whether it was Wing Intel or whether it was uh, the NSA. He had uh, influences like that. So 
his, his memory is tainted too. So if you're uh, looking for holes in Reynoldsham because of uh, if Larry says, I see green men or if I see an orb or something like that, you got to remember that he was messed with probably with some of the best drugs available at the time. So, um, no, I'll defend Larry on that one. <laughs> that could be the most preposterous thing I've heard yet. He thinks that's a defense of Larry Warren? <laughs> Yeah, Larry is misinformed because uh, either the NSA or some other organization uh, junked him up on sodium pentothal and whatever other drugs and made him see fake stuff. But anyway, getting back to my future humans, zeros and ones message. Right. <laughs> I'll back him up on that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's thanking you. Oh. So you think uh, either he actually saw the blue orb or it was uh, a suggestion given to him while under sodium pentothal? Well, not unless you're talking about the blue uh, lights that were uh, uh, from the, uh, the uh, actual uh, time bubble that happened out there. Are you talking about that or what? Well, um, I think he described it as um, he could see... Some sort of being in it, but he knew it wasn't uh, human, that it had big eyes. Is that right or not? I might have got this mixed up with something I else. I, I don't know. I, I talked to Larry when I was over there. We had a heart-to-heart discussion. He knows that he was uh, also uh, uh, tampered with by uh, uh, unknown agencies and drug-induced, too. And uh, it has put a toll on all the witnesses that were... Uh, were, were messed with like that. Some of us handle it better than others, and um, some of us have more difficulty with it. Uh, quite honestly, uh, uh, we owe Larry Orrin a lot with this because it was him that actually broke the story open, or else it would still remain unknown probably today. Can you comment a little bit more about what you referred to as the time bubble just a second ago? I'm not familiar with that. The immediate area around the, uh, the bright light and when it was emulating and started to uh, dissipate and when the craft appeared around the, uh, that, that object, uh, the craft, uh, extending out about 15 feet, 20 feet, there is an uh, area that uh, time slowed or where it was catching up or something was going on. Where there was zero sound, though it was void of sound and things, and uh, that was a, a, a effect that was around that craft, uh, which happened on the first night with me and John, and happened on the third night with John and two other security policemen. So it was like things were slowed down a lot, or how? I'm not. I'm not clear. I'm sorry. Oh, it's uh, the craft trying to catch up in our time area, our time. That's all it is. Oh, with the present time. It was the craft trying to catch up with the present time. It's something with the generation of travel. I don't like to understand that either. You probably need to talk to a time expert. I have never, ever heard anything about a time bubble around the craft on the first night. Ever. Um... I thought Have we were, you? I thought we were only dealing with facts on this case. I didn't. I thought Bent Waters is all about the facts. <laughs> now he's telling us what this time bubble was. It's catching up. That's all it is. 
Oh, okay. This is like talking to a drunk. Yeah, he's catching up. I mean, you'd have to ask a time expert about that. I, you know, someone I've who moves never... through time. You know, humans. I mean, see, here, here again is where it's just like I shake my head because I'm like, I've heard this story countless times through countless forms of media, and never have I heard him mention a time bubble around this object. I'm trying they to walked remember... up, there it was. They touched it, you know. So there was there was never anything about time slowing down. I don't ever remember hearing that. Maybe I'm wrong, I'm or maybe I haven't remember, caught the right show. But <laughs> well, I mean, I read Left at Eastgate, but it was so long ago uh, that I, I mean, something about that sounds familiar. But then again, Larry Warren uh, is the subject of that, right? And we know that his memories now are <laughs> yeah. are government implants. So. All I'm saying is, <laughs> in, in everything that I've seen Jim on, I've never. I've never heard him mention anything about that. And that's a major part. Like, like what was it? Uh, unexplained, unsolved mysteries. You, you watch that piece and you go, okay, that's weird. That's weird stuff. Okay, great. Well, in that, I never heard once heard him say anything about this thing was surrounded 20 feet out with some kind of bubble. What? Like I heard you saw and there's the craft and you went up and you touched it. You drew the symbols down and you, you know, so on and so forth. Then it took off above the trees and took off at a high rate of speed like we've never seen. I don't remember hearing anything about a time bubble. I, I, I mean, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just not up on current events here. I don't know. So it was a sense that you got at the time and that's it was all around the craft and that's why you called it the time bubble. Well, it's not a sense. It's uh, it's the conditions around the uh, that was extending out from the object uh, fifteen feet away. It, that was the situation. What did it look like fifteen feet away? When the l- white light dissipated, there was a black triangular pie-shaped craft, uh, black onyx in color, with uh, um, uh, blue lights and some orange running through the fabric of the craft at various sizes and uh, rates. And uh, that's uh, that's what appeared that. Well, what would a Cadillac look at fifteen feet? You know, you'd be looking at a Cadillac, wouldn't you? Right. I mean, it's very clear. It's very clear. I mean, fifteen feet is close. Yes, it is. I agree. I mean, that's there's there's no way to mistaken it for anything other than what it is. And I, so that's a triangular craft, uh, black, uh, warm to the touch. As I went around the other side of it, I was hoping to find the United States Air Force printed on the side of it. <laughs> uh, believe me, I was hoping it was that, like that. And then I find pictorials that don't make no sense at all either. So uh, uh, it, was a, it was a very uh, traumatic experience. I thought she was asking what the time bubble looked like, not what the craft looked like. Right, exactly. Uh... I, I, I... It's evasiveness to me. I'm sorry. Yeah. The more I listen, I mean, listeners, you're you're getting my reaction as I'm listening to this the first time. I mean, these are people that I've respected when I've seen them on TV talking. You know, Peniston Burroughs. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, you're 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 hearing <laughs> you're hearing all of the motions of the balloon deflating right now inside of me as I listen yeah. to this. Well, I, I mean, this is why when I listen to this, I, I said to you, I say, please write her and ask her if we can run her interview on our show with, with our comments and what have you, because I, f- I feel like this 
we I wanted to bring this to the audience because look at this. I mean, just you know, <laughs> as Cory Doctorow would say on Boing Boing, just look at it. <laughs> you know, to me, it's 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 just it's it's absurd. It's it's I, I can't I can't even get my head around the idea that we're talking about the same case anymore. I mean, I feel silly like just even going on with this show. To be honest with you, like. These yeah. long periods of listening to this conversation, uh, to me it, right now, is the equivalent of long periods of listening to Greer or anyone on, you know, an Open mm-hmm. Minds show, you know, Robert O'Dean or any any of that nonsense. I mean, this is mm-hmm. now that caliber of nonsense to where I feel that the listener has to be asking themselves, uh, why are Jeff and Jer subjecting me to this? <laughs> like, why is this even a big deal? Like, like I think that's how damaging this is. Is Rendlesham just went from wow, this case is pretty solid, straight to, with no stops along the way, <laughs> why is anyone even talking about this at all? Like, yeah. this is clearly crap. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I it's, mean hard to, can... it's hard to believe that, like, you know, uh, what, an hour and 19 minutes ago uh, of this show, of course our show is longer, but of the, the Angela Joyner show, in an hour and 19 minutes, this thing just became so irrelevant that I can't remember the moment that it was relevant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's well, let's do this. Let's do this from here. We'll we'll put a link on our page to a page where you can go listen to the whole show on your own without our color commentary uh, interrupting you. you. You you all can go listen to it. We'll, well, I think we'll cease it right there because that is towards the very end. You know, and just say at this point, if any of our audience knows Colonel Halt or has an email address for him or anything, please let us know about it because I'd like to get him on the show. And uh, if you know uh, Mr. Peniston and can get him to come on, we still want to talk to him. But this is really bad as far as I'm concerned. This is really, really bad uh, for this case because, I, I, like I said, I still think there is an anomalous event here. But I don't know what the hell is going on with this 30th revelations uh, stuff. It, it's just, I heard this and then I remembered the YouTube video that you had shown me and I said, wait a minute, <laughs> discrepancy there, big time, and no one's really talking about it. And why aren't they? Like, this, uh, if nothing else, this show for everybody, for our audience and whoever else listens, this should bring up definitive questions that need to be addressed. And if they don't get addressed and we get more runaround and we get more, well, I don't want to talk about that. Then you know what? End of story for me. I mean, that's it. And it and I I think that that above anything, there's been a hell of a lot of questions raised here on this show tonight, at least. But the one thing that I want to bring up is what could this be other than what it seems to be, which is embellishment, which is what Doctor Clark talked about in his episode with with us. I mean, could it be what I've been talking to Jeremy about lately, which is is this part of the truth is not enough <laughs> type of syndrome going on? Like the public is demanding more. It's the 30th anniversary. We want to hear about this. And what are you going to do? You're going to go back on the stage and you're going to tell the same story you've been telling for the past 30 years. Is that what you're going to do? Or are you going to have some new revelation uh, so that people actually become involved with the study of the event or the awareness of it or whatever? But do you do that by embellishing it and making it 
really just like forget about this? This is ridiculous. Is that how you do that? I don't know. I think that happens a lot in ufology where someone has a, a good solid account or more than a few people have a really good solid account of what happened. And for years, this is what it was. This is what happened. This is the chronology of the event. Here's who saw it. Here was who was involved. Here's what happened afterwards. And then after a while, due to public demand for more, 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 which I think is a fatal flaw in ufology and even in the UFO-interested public, it's by nature that we want more. But I think when, again, when somebody says their story and here it is and they lay it out on the table for you, stop asking for more because you're just baiting these people to embellish it so that you keep interested in it. Otherwise, they feel it's forgotten. And this is a, a monumental event in their lives. Uh, I mean, I think that's, that's like, to me, that is a huge problem in this stuff. Um, that we can't just accept what happened and backtrack it from there and study it and dissect it. We're always clamoring for something more. Uh, and so, therefore, do people feel obligated or do they feel under pressure to come up with something? I think that's happened to a few good cases. I don't know that that's what's going on here, but the case could be made, I suppose. Well, I just want to apologize to our listeners for calling it quits early. I just I, honestly, I mean, we'd plan to go to the end of this. I just I can't take it. <laughs> I think. think like, well, no, I think this I think done. I mean, Benwaters yeah, is dead uh, <laughs> and they killed it themselves. I think if anyone knows what really happened, maybe it's Charles Halt, and hopefully he'll get so fed up that he'll just spill the beans. Yeah. Uh, but who knows? I mean, I could be wrong yes. about that too. Um, but See, that's the un- that's he still the seems like an honest broker in this, and, and ironically, yeah. he's supposed to be the big bad wolf here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, th- that's the thing. And what's really the most unfortunate about all of this is that when you look at Roswell and you look at the initial event – and then you start coming forward with it, and it just gets more and more absurd as it comes along until the point where we've said this on this show. It's so far gone, we'll never really be able to get out what the real story was. It's just – it's too far buried underneath of stuff. And unfortunately, we're seeing – the to me, uh, we're seeing the first few shovel loads being lopped upon this case, maybe just because they don't know where to go with it. And who knows for whatever else reason. I mean, there could be all sorts, like you've mentioned, monetary reasons. There could be, you know, all of that. I mean, what amazes me is, if, I don't know if this is a like one of my tenets, but the minute that I hear somebody say, you know, I'm not making any money off of this, and they haven't been even asked about that, <laughs> right. that means, you know, <laughs> I'm making money off this. Right. That's the uh, plan. In some form or, or something. I don't know, but... Uh, um, it's a, it's really to me. It's just it's sad. I can't blow Rendlesham off as being bullshit because I know it. Uh, just by virtue of what I've been exposed to it over the years, I I think there's something there. But what but we're there's seeing so many now, people so, now in ufology mm-hmm. who many people trust that are involved in this. You've got uh, Peter Robbins. You've got Linda Moulton Howe. You've got Nick Pope. Uh, do all of these people really believe this stuff? Are any of these folks going to step forward and be like, you know what? I just I'm not buying this. Or yeah. Or I was in a room when they hatched this plot, and I know it's bullshit. Or something like any anything contrary to what we're hearing here. 
After we after what we've been through with hypnosis, do you honestly think that's a valid question to ask? <laughs> I mean, look what we went through with that. We had people we know who said yes. This is this is a good thing. This is coming out. Blah blah blah. Really, will you come forward and support? You know this i this 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 information. Will you say yes? We're glad this is coming to light. Oh no, I can't do that. You think for a second anybody's going to stand up and go, "Hey guys, you know what? I don't. I'm not buying this." No, no. It's the same like old it, apple cart almost, here. You know, everyone's taking just credibility crazy pills here. You know, it's like uh, you got Nick Pope doing this terrible looking documentary show on this stuff when he his whole thing was you know why is anyone paying attention to me i'm a, a broker of truth for this stuff mm-hmm. um and then it's like he caved it's like he gave in he's like oh well if you can't beat him join him <laughs> i mean that's what this whole thing feels like to me if you can't beat him join him yeah yeah Ugh. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, I'd like to thank Angela Joyner for doing a bang up yes. job of, you know, not even purposely, you know, exposing Getting at us. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just, she did it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and thank her for the use of uh, of all that audio that we had to subject you people to. Uh, <laughs> sorry. But, I, you know, I, I'm not sorry for that. I mean, I think, again, we have to raise these questions and um, and, and kind of call it out and say, wait a minute, you know. There's very, very big questions about a case that's been very long-standing and, and, for the most part, very well thought of. And so now we've got real issues, and let's try to get these issues addressed. So, what did we say to Whitley last week about never being invited to conferences? Well, <laughs> we here's just, we why. Just bailed that coffin shut. Didn't yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I don't expect that. I mean, you know, you either raise the questions, or as far as I'm concerned, you're a big part of the fucking problem. You know, like we're always bitching and moaning about how we want. To be taken seriously, and we want to get at some progress in this, and we want to get towards some semblance of what is going on. And you get this, and you see the discrepancy. To not call that out and not not to raise the questions that are being presented right in front of you—that's irresponsible to me. So if we're uh, shunned <laughs> in ufology because we raise these questions, then so be it. No problem. Yeah, and these are just questions so far, you know. I don't have any answers. I'm not saying I'm not saying there was some shady backroom deal, you know, with ufologists no. to hatch a plot. No. Or that no. The, you know, that they really do know what's going, you know, the government let them in on what happened and No, this is all there. just I mean, conjecture. Yeah, you it's know? just I'm just thinking as we're going along here and of course Jeff and I have talked about it before beforehand as yeah. well. But mainly just thinking about it as we go along here, like what are the scenarios that make sense because the one scenario that doesn't make sense is time travelers with binary code. Yeah. And the other scenario that doesn't make sense is the thing that we always talk about on this show, which is the trickster high strangeness element. Yeah. I mean, that is not what I'm hearing here. You know, as much as it would like to be that. <laughs> well, you know what? In a way, I can I can kind of pick it out when you look at somebody losing all critical thought. You know, I can see that. I, I mean, how, what was part of the conversation with uh, with George Hanson when we had him on was people go on to this scene for so yeah, long, yeah, and no, it's such right. a in that you know, sense, yes. pace. In that sense, yes. But I mean, the phenomenon. I mean, I'm not getting a sense of this is the phenomenon being represented, other than what you're saying. You know, maybe this yeah, is well, the resi- the residual human effect. Maybe that, but 
and he, and this is this is what I said earlier, you know, that the the options that we got and one of the options is is that they're telling the truth and if they're telling the truth, um Certainly, the phenomena is making it look like they're not telling the truth or making a fool out of them or whatever. But this goes to me beyond that 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 kind of sphere of influence and the trickster element of this. Uh, you know, you, you got a guy here who's saying, you know, I, I don't want to talk about this until I have time to really sort it out for myself. And well, you've had thirty years. Is that enough yet? You know, and then we've got a time bubble. Well, they're catching up. You know, that's what it's catching up. You know, that's what it is. That's all it is. I mean, comments like that are what – no, that's no trickster element there. That's just – that's something else. <laughs> Bullshittery. <laughs> Bullshittery. Yeah, I mean that's just like what are you even talking about? Before, you didn't even know what this was. Now, it's a well, time bubble. That's all it's doing. It's just catching up. That to me was I, – I threw my headphones. I was at work listening to this. I threw my headphones on this. I was like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> you know, but um, – uh, but yeah, certain ele- human elements I can see coming into play here for that. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. So you all can go back and listen to Angela's interview if you'd like to, uh, without our conjecture in there. You know, and I can totally see why she doesn't want uh, any part of ufology anymore. Yeah, I mean, God, this would do it. Yeah, hmm? interviews like this, you know, that'll be one of the bricks, one of the one of the bricks in the wall. Yeah. It's just a shame. I mean, I, I can't tell you how disappointing it is to hear this kind of stuff. And and maybe if we can get uh, uh, Charles Holt on the show to talk to us about you know his recollection of events and and what he thinks of all this, then uh, hopefully that'll restore some of my interest in it. But as of right now, I'm I'm done. I got to walk away from it. Peritopia. I guess that's it. We're walking away. That's it. <laughs> what a macabre ending. And a great ending, yeah. <laughs> we'll have a pick-me-up next week, I promise. Yes, yes. Let's hope we've done our service here and... I hope. Word gets out. All right, Paratopia, sweet dreams. We will see you next week. Have a good weekend.